Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. The president very much wants to give this speech, it sounds like, from the Lincoln Memorial. And you write, the president's starring role has the potential to turn what has long been a nonpartisan celebration of the nation's founding into another version of a Trump campaign rally. And I'm just wondering, Josh, I mean, what kind of speech would he give? Would he give a presidential speech or would he give one of these sort of foaming at the mouth speech that we sometimes see at the rallies where they clamor? You know, we hear we heard it just last week where people in the crowd clamor for violence. Well, I think his advisors themselves don't know what he's going to say before he gets up there. Uh, the speech would supposedly be about America and patriotism and the economy and his administration's accomplishments and, you know, kind of a rah-rah speech. Uh, but the president often goes off teleprompter, as we've seen time and time again. So what he would actually say from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial with the assembled throngs out there uh, is really hard to know. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 18th of May, year of our Lord, 2019. But day late. Sorry about that. I had a project yesterday. And I got exposed to some mold. And I have allergies, of course. Everybody's been at the show. I got sinus issues brought on by military service. And man, I tell you what. I was a sick puppy yesterday. But I was resurfacing an old deck. We had installed in 2007 and putting new treads and some worn out boards. And underneath it was, wow. Some really gross shit, and I inhaled it, and I was just too sick to podcast. So, excuse the delay. I want to hit the last podcast. I don't know what happened. If somebody shared it, I thank you. It's like 80 plays uh, last time I checked. That's just from SoundCloud, so I don't know what else I was listening to. But um, <clears throat> I really thank you all for listening. It means a lot. Um, unfortunately, we're stuck in a loop. It kind of turns into what these podcasts end up being. It's just a loop and a loop and a loop. And it just, it's the same thing. It's like the same podcast as last time. I'm going to talk about the same subjects. More anti-Semitism. Abortion. It it just doesn't stop. Um, uh, The media all of a sudden cares about abortion when, you know, they didn't care when New York and... Vermont and a few other states were doing, yeah, your baby comes out, you can look at it and decide, and if you don't want it, it's like a lemon law, just kill that fucker. They didn't care about that. As uh, Cuomo said, it was codifying Roe, which I I doubt any, even the liberal justice at the time in the 60s, when they came around with that anarchic, we're making law uh, when there is none, ruling was done, I don't think they ever imagined that the current progressive movement be just kill your baby until kindergarten. You know, I just don't think that was a concept, but, you know, what are you going to do? Our intro was CNN freaking out because Trump's talking about changing uh, Fourth of July, which I just thought, you know, I got to play something to start, and I just think that pretty much sums up. We just freak out, you know. We're just freaking out. So, some stuff up front. Um, <clears throat> Washington Times. House Democrats to read the Mueller report out loud. They've been doing it for days. And as most people who are, you know, not even conservative people on Twitter, they're saying, gee, they're putting into record their gigantic failure and farce. Why would they do that? You lied. 
for three years. You knew you were lying. I mean, there's so much shit that has come out that it's just, you know, we'll get to a few of them. But, I mean, just every day that we get deeper and peel back that onion, it was just all a lie. And they knew it was a lie. The FBI knew it was a lie. And it's just bad. Uh, scary things. U.S. Embassy Baghdad. State Department has ordered the departure of non-emergency USG employees from Iraq, both at the embassy in Baghdad and consult, consult, consulate, excuse me, in Erbil. Additional information on alert can be found in the U.S. Embassy. Avoid U.S. facilities within Iraq. Monitor local media for updates. Review personal security plans. Remain aware of surroundings. Review the complete travel advisory for Iraq. Visit our website. It's a high-risk area. Um, and this is all in response of um, Iran and simultaneously from Army Times, United States Air Force has reportedly deployed 20 new missiles to deal with the escalating threat from North Korea and Iran that can zap their military electronics, thus rendering their militaries completely ineffective, known as the Counter-Electronics High-Power Microwave Advanced Missile Project, or CHAMP, the missiles were built by Boeing Phantom Works for the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory in 2012. And the Daily Mail um, reported that, which is uh, kind of scary. I don't think we should be telling people we're, we're doing that, but okay. To uh, immigration, I, there are so many scary articles out here of them literally... There's 5,500 illegal aliens crossing the border every day. They're going to deposit up to 200,000 nationally because they got no place to put them thanks to the Democrats uh, reducing funding. So um, that's why articles like this, New York Times, is there a connection between undocumented immigrants and crime? Is widely held perception, but a new analysis finds no evidence to support it. Kale Ruth, well, there's a 100% connection between people being in the country illegally and breaking the law. So as they're still spinning in all the media that, oh, these poor immigrants, because they just want to get more Democratic voters, suspected illegal alien serial killer charged in killing of 12 elderly people. The media has totally ignored it because of his status. If he was a white guy, say he was an illegal alien from Germany, oh, they'd cover it. But because of the skin color, they're, they're just ignoring it. Uh, in line with this, the facts first thing, Acosta tweeted, Trump in a rose garden speech paints asylum seekers with a broad brush, accusing them of misleading immigrant immigration authorities. These are frivolous claim. That's not what he said. The president said, we must also restore the integrity of our broken asylum system. Our nation has a proud history of affording protection to those fleeing government persecution. Unfortunately, legitimate asylum seekers are being displaced by those lodging frivolous claims. These are frivolous claims to gain admission to our country. Trump added, My plan expedites relief for legitimate asylum seekers by screening out the meritless claims. If you have a proper claim, you will quickly be admitted. If you don't, you'll be returned home. He was just implying the abuse of the system, not everybody. The broad brush here is Acosta. Acosta's retweeted NBC reporter Julie Ansley, who also mangled Trump's, Trump most claimed by family, or blah, blah, blah. They just made it up. So, Trump War Room, which I don't know who 
does that site. You know there's a video providing you're lying, right? How could you do this and go home at night and think you're turned into an honest day's work? And Trump just, uh, Acosta just kept returning that, oh, no, no, no. That's not what he said. Knowing they got caught in a lie. I mean, completely got caught in a lie. 80% of asylum seeker cases at the southwest border are not legitimate. That is from HHS. Abby someone. There are times it's hard to say which Acosta is better at, lying about what POTUS says or crying about being called a liar for lying. Of all the hacks, void of any honor or integrity, plows one of the deeper paths. And he does. Every time Trump speaks on immigration, CNN will intentionally edit and make it a lie. And that's why the Home and Garden Channel beats him. That's pretty much the reason why. Then CNN, once again, misses This is America which I'm going to play on the back of her little tirade. CNN won't say where they got these facts. 35 U.S. school shootings since fall, 336 school shootings since 2008, misleading. 373,663 killed by gun violence from 2007 to 2017. This includes unintentional suicide, homicide, undetermined legal intervention, operations of war. But you didn't hear any of that in Brooke Baldwin's. This is America, lady, and her gun-grabbing rant. What's been your greatest achievement. Now that we've shown that we can lead and we are leading together with other generations, I know that we can end this issue. I'm just so impressed with these kids. All of us thought maybe this will peter out. Maybe they'll have to be busy with school, but they haven't given up. I love you for doing this. I mean, I know you have kiddos, you drop them off at school, you have all the same thoughts that parents do across the country, but to see these young voices, I mean, it gives me goosebumps just to think back to March for Our Lives in D.C. Um, tell me more about David and Lauren and what they're up to. You know, they really want, as you heard them say, federal legislation. They did something remarkable. They got Florida, where, you know, people feel strongly about their guns, yeah. to change the legislation in the wake of what happened in Parkland. Now they want it on a national scale. So, of course, they want universal background checks. They want to ban really high-capacity magazines. They want more dollars, federal dollars, to study gun violence. And that's what they're setting their sights on. And so what they were doing in D.C., where you saw there was going from lawmaker to lawmaker and just, you know, making them hear their plea and setting all of that art installation up outside the windows of the Capitol so that lawmakers couldn't miss it and had to walk by it. Um, The fact that we have continued to cover school shootings, uh, there have been 35 this school year. It's just like our kids don't feel safe. We don't have to live this way. I feel as though somebody, somehow we've accepted that this is our new normal. We don't have to send our kids off to school every day just crossing our fingers and hoping that they're not sitting ducks for gun violence. We can fix this. Australia had a mass shooting. They fixed it. Other places have given us actually a blueprint for how to do this. We don't, we're better than this. We just don't have to live this way. This is America in 2019. 
So the first soundbite was all those stats I just read, and she's quietly looking there with this concerned face, and they're all f- overinflated, as usual. It's just overinflated. And I think it pairs well with this Yashir Ali, Ali tweet. He, he went off on all reporters. Um, the British raided a, person, a reporter's house to find out who his source was. And that's an infringement on free speech. Anybody would say that. Some of you who are ready to march on Washington when a reporter gets a rude reply from the White House are not showing concern for the story in this thread below. It's really pissing me off. How many people are silent about it or have shown little concern? You're hypocrites. If you defended Acosta and haven't said anything about this because it involves a group of liberal politicians, you can go to hell. Shame on you. And I, I love it because, you know... This is our media. They only get fired up when it's a white person that kills somebody. They only get fired up when it's about a Republican. Nellie Orr deleted email sent from husband's DOJ account. Nobody reports it. They don't care. CNN suggests reputation of prosecutor tapped to investigate Orange and Trump Russia probe is on the line. They're gonna they're gonna get that guy. I mean, it's just fucking horrible. Why would you do this? The media claim constitutional crisis repeated a hundred and eighty six fucking times. If it's a constitutional crisis, that sounds bad. To me. So now you hear the term constitutional crisis. You know, you hear this word constitutional crisis. A little constitutional crisis. What exactly counts as a constitutional crisis? Are we in a constitutional crisis? Mm. Is this a constitutional crisis? I think it's a constitutional confrontation. Constitutional stress test. Constitutional showdown. Constitutional confrontation. Confrontational crisis. Do you agree with Chairman Nadler that the country is currently in a constitutional crisis? Yes. It's a constitutional crisis, okay? Constitutional crisis is no longer a hypothetical. The country is in a constitutional crisis. The official Trump constitutional crisis. Folks, a constitutional crisis. Behind door number two, you have a constitutional crisis. Ever wonder what a constitutional crisis looks like? The real total end of democracy. Open your eyes. If this is a constitutional crisis, how can Democrats not move forward with impeachment hearings? We have the option of impeachment, and we think this is a constitutional crisis. Start impeachment proceedings. Why not pursue impeachment? Why are you resisting? Some people would argue we've been in a constitutional crisis since Donald Trump was elected president. That's a Democratic talking point. I mean, that's not that's not journalism. And then you get Chris Hayes, the Justice Department, being turned into a political weapon for the president. Michael Tracy. Is Chris aware that the Justice Department surveilled and sent spies to entrap members of the Trump campaign? The dates are here. I mean, we're getting actual proof, more and more proof that this was bogus. But Matto, I mean, supposedly the greatest fucking reporter out there, they're saying the Republicans are weaponizing the DOJ. Remember, we've got the 
Judiciary Committee in the Senate led by Lindsey Graham, who now says what he's going to investigate is the start of the Russia investigation and maybe Hillary Clinton's emails. We've got Jeff Sessions having already appointed a U.S. attorney named Huber in Utah to look at the origins of the Russia investigation. We've got the inspector general at the Justice Department looking at the origins of that investigation. And now Attorney General Barr, fresh off of pounding his chest in Congress and saying we need to stop using the Justice Department for political purposes. Now, he, too, has appointed somebody else, yet another U.S. attorney, to look into the origins of that investigation. Meanwhile, we have no idea what the results were of that investigation. We'd have no idea what the findings were of the counterintelligence investigation into Russia and its potential links with the Trump campaign. None of that ended up in Mueller's report. Um, but this, this whole idea that the president's going to demand, to demand investigations of the investigators, demand investigations of his political enemies, it's you know, not the dystopic future anymore. We're living through it. I mean, it's amazingly blatant. I mean, when you get with guns, you get with abortion, as we'll see. They don't care the inverse, but when Republicans do it, it's horrible. When you freaking hold the Democratic attorney general in contempt by congress that's partisanship when you hold a republican attorney general general in contempt that is that is justice i mean they forget that we watch and it's really funny because i you know i said i was going to go out and on my trip to go get my grandkids i was really going to Go out there on the limb. And, and I've saved my Alyssa Milano, which only has three episode podcasts. But I listened to about seven Pod Save America yesterday. And I got to admit, folks, that was really tough to swallow. Now, first and foremost, compared to most podcasts, they're more like the modern media. I mean, they're directly connected to the Democrats. These were Obama bros. And, you know, I, I should have expected it. But listening to them talk about things, and one of them is, is our ending subject after This Is America, about the interstate compact, which is in direct violation of the Constitution. These guys in one sentence will be talking about the Constitution and how Trump is ripping up the Constitution but then they're talking about ripping up the Constitution. I mean, from guns to um, abortion to gerrymandering to redistricting, in one sentence they say it's bad for America, but Democrats need to do this. Um, it was rough listening to that. It really was rough because... They can't see their hypocrisy. They can't see that what they're saying, well, you don't accept it from the other side. Why do you accept it now? But it was just really rough listening to. We, we and, and like last podcast up front, we have another white supremacist on our hands. Stephen Fry, are you A-OK? -okay? Our friend A-OK -okay Kitchen are supporting Mind Charity this Mental Health Awareness Week. 13th to the 19th of May, follow them to find out more OK symbol and emoji. Metro decide to run with this. This is a British guy, Stephen Fry. Charles Nash, reporter, public trusted media is at all-time low, sir. What do we do? Editor, Stephen Fry's a white supremacist. Run it. P.S. 
I really will not allow the simple okay gesture to belong to the moronic dog-whistling, catfishing, frog-horning, frog-marching, pig-sticking, dick-waving few who attempt to appropriate it for their own evil fantasies. Chris Bolchirk. Slander, accuse, trash, destroy all your enemies, no matter how minor. That's been the left from... Ron Pierre to Trotsky to Marcuse to Alinsky to Clinton to Obama to today. Civil society doesn't exist. Friendship doesn't exist. Family doesn't exist. Only permanent revolution. And they're right. I mean, it's just disgusting that anybody he uses okay who's not a Democrat, that's now a white supremacist signal. And they run articles. That was literally an article in Britain. And we're doing the very same thing. Somebody plays a circle game. And you're banned from life from going to baseball games. Are you fucking serious? It, it's just amazing how it's just not one. I mean, it's just every week. There's another person who accidentally goes, okay, or plays a circle game. And now you're a white supremacist. You're doxxed. Your life is fucking over. So... Gonna go to a music break. I'm into bad company for some reason. It keeps coming up in my head. This is, goes out to Jen in Colorado because she loved him as a kid. And as I'm old now, I some reason just have a hankering for bad company. So we're gonna play bad company. Go into our violent left. More anti-Semitism. It flips back and forth. It's usually Omar. Today, it's Talib. And it's a calming feeling.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's rather call me. And also in the Oval Office today, President Trump warned of major consequences if Iran is found responsible for a mysterious so-called sabotage attack against four oil tankers in the Middle East. NBC's Andrea Mitchell has details. New images tonight showing the damage to a Norwegian oil tanker, one of a series of ships struck in mysterious attacks, including ships from Saudi Arabia and the UAE, both enemies of Iran, as they were near the Strait of Hormuz, a critical pathway for much of the world's oil supply. The Saudis are calling it sabotage, President Trump issuing a warning if Iran is responsible. It's going to be a bad problem for Iran if something happens, I can tell you that. They're not going to be happy. As tensions rise with Iran, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo today detouring to a European summit to share intelligence on Iran with skeptical allies. We are very worried about the risk of a conflict happening by accident uh, with an escalation that is unintended really on either side. Last week, the U.S. sending a carrier group to the region as a show of force. Are we going for a war with Iran? Are you seeking regime change there? We'll see what happens with Iran. If they do anything, it will be a very bad mistake. Andrea joins us now. Andrea, any indication who's behind these attacks? Well, Iran said today that the attacks were alarming and regrettable. But after Pompeo's briefing to the Europeans, I talked to a diplomatic source who told me that the group felt that they still need more information about what the attacks were, how it took place, and who is responsible. The president made it clear if they believe that Iran is responsible, they're going to respond to them. All right, Andrea, thank you. Republicans are now on day two of their latest sustained round of bad faith attacks against Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. This time it's for expressing the personal meaning she derives from her ancestors' land in what is now Israel, being used to create a safe haven for Jews after the horrors of the Holocaust. That sentiment has been twisted in truly odious ways from an accusation of anti-Semitism by the Republican National Committee Chair Ronnie McDaniel to absolutely vile remarks from Wyoming Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney suggesting that Tlaib was trying to delegitimize Israel. But among Tlaib's supporters is one of her most stalwart defenders, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Omar and Tlaib are the only two Muslim American women in Congress, and they have consistently had each other's backs as they have each endured a series of attacks. Today, Congresswoman Omar, along with her Jewish colleague, Congresswoman Jan Joukowsky of Illinois, wrote an op-ed calling for building alliances between the members of the Muslim and Jewish faiths and for an end to bigotry. And Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar of Minnesota is here with me now. Um, Congresswoman, I want to talk about your op-ed, but first I want to ask how you, given the experience you've had uh, in the sort of center of firestorms, uh, how you are interpreting what is happening right now with respect to uh, your colleague Rashida Tlaib's comments. Uh, hi, Chris. Uh, it's really good to be here with you. You know, I, I tell my sister uh, Rashida Tlaib that her and I have um, the strength to endure any of the mischaracterization or efforts to distort um, and, and vilify uh, and mischaracterize our, our message. Uh, and I think 
um, we are seeing what happens when uh, people really see um, these kind of attacks for what they are. Um, it is designed to uh, silence, sideline, um, and sort of almost eliminate um, public, public voice of Muslims from the public discourse. House Republicans denouncing Congressman Rashida Tlaib for comments the Michigan Democrat made about the Holocaust on a Yahoo News podcast. Listen. Thank you so much, Reggie. It's a kind of a calming feeling, I always tell folks. When I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post the Holocaust, post the tragedy. And I love the fact that it was my ancestors that provided that, right, in many ways. But they did it in a way that took their human dignity away. Two top House Republicans are falsely accusing Tlaib of using the term calming feeling to describe her view of the Holocaust itself. Minority Whip Steve Scalise says there is nothing calming about six million Jews being murdered. And Liz Cheney of Wyoming calling on Speaker Pelosi to take action against Tlaib for her, quote, vile uh, you did a podcast. Uh, when did you actually record the podcast? I feel like, uh, I, last week. Okay, so uh, it came out, and uh, uh, a lot of people have been talking about it, both sides of the aisle. Uh, you uh, were talking about the tragedy of the Holocaust, and you, uh, the words you used was it gave you a calming feeling because you were happy that uh, it became a safe haven. haven uh, uh, Palestine became a safe haven for uh, uh, the Jewish people. Um, some have criticized the use of a uh, calming feeling. You have said that it was taken out of context. Uh, I want to give you a chance to provide some context. Yeah, and it's, you know, so for folks that don't know, don't know, I mean, my grandmother, my living grandmother, my mom's mom, lives in the West Bank in the occupied territories of Palestine. And what's incredibly, you know, the tragedy of the Holocaust, I mean, the reason why Israel was created is create a safe haven for Jews around the world. And there is something like in many ways beautiful about that. My ancestors, many had died or had to give up their livelihood, their human dignity to provide a safe haven for, for Jews in our world. And that is something that I wanted to recognize and kind of honor in some sort of way. But I also think it's important because I want Palestinian people also to find some sort of, you know, light in this kind of what's happening, but also, you know, in the end, I said, I want all of us to feel safe. All of us deserve human dignity, no matter our backgrounds, no matter our ethnicity, no matter even our political opinions. We all need deserve that kind of equality and justice. And, uh, you know, for me, I wanted to uplift that and, and bring that to light. And it was unfortunate. You know, I got a text message from a friend who's like, hey, next time, you know, really clarify, maybe talk like a fourth fourth grader, because maybe the racist idiots would understand you better. Um, so it's just, you know, I will continue to speak truth to power and continue to uplift my grandmother. Uh, through love. Uh, and that's all I can do is continue to share the human impact of what it means to be Palestinian in the occupied territory. You know, I'm, I'm you know, it's nice, I think, to have someone uh, in Congress that ha as a Palestinian who has a platform, because I, obviously it's never it happens very rarely. It's it, certainly in the media. You don't get the Palestinian perspective. It does. I actually think it wouldn't hurt uh, for all of us to talk about uh, the history of that part of the world on a fourth grade level, because I actually don't think a lot of us here understand it. And I think that there's a very, very bad faith argument was made today that you were calmed by the Holocaust. Of course. I think there was a, a good faith argument that maybe your history did not, was not in alignment uh, with everyone. It's unfucking believable how the media will take 
anything a Republican says. We just showed it with Trump. And they will take the worst meaning ever, run with it. That is fact. Chuck Todd comes out and says it's fact. CNN says it's fact. All the media goes and says it's fact. But when a Democrat does it, it's pounce, 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 pounce. So, unlike the media, I'm going to play her full soundbite. This is what Tlaib said. And so for me, I want my colleagues to see a side that they can relate to, that they can see that this is not about choosing sides, but choosing values. So if you start with that, then you might actually be able to look at this in a lens that is really, truly fair. So, Congresswoman, you've created something of a stir by coming out in favor of a one-state solution in Israel and Palestine. And I think you may be the only Democrat who's publicly supported a one-state solution. So what is your vision for a one-state solution that meets both Palestinian and Israeli or Jewish national aspirations? Absolutely. And let me tell you, I mean, for me, just a few, uh, I think two weeks ago or so, we celebrated, or just it took a moment, I think, in our country to remember the Holocaust. And there's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling, I always tell folks, when I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust, and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, the human dignity, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passport. I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post the Holocaust, post the tragedy and horrific persecution of Jews across the world at that time. And I love the fact that it was my ancestors that provided that, right, in many ways. But they did it in a way that took their human dignity away, right? And it was forced on them. And so when I think about a one state, I think about the fact that why couldn't we do it in a better way? Where, And I don't want people to do it in the name of Judaism, just like I don't want people to use Islam in that way. It has to be done in a way of values around equality and around the fact that you shouldn't oppress others so that you can feel free and safe. Why can't we all be free and safe together? But a one-state solution with the right of return, I mean, just the math suggests that Jews would become a minority in that state. But, Dan, it's not up to us to decide what it looks like, right? Just like when I have my African-American teachers taught me about neighborhoods they couldn't live in, taught me about places they couldn't work. But it's important to understand that separate but equal didn't work here, right? And we have to allow the self-determination to happen there. But for me, that's the lens I bring to it. But I'm not a leader there. But isn't it giving up to say uh, we're just going to – the idea of a two-state solution with two independent states that are sovereign and, and independent but and free, I didn't, aren't you I didn't giving give it that up? up that I didn't dream? give it up. Netanyahu and his party gave it up. And the Israeli government gave it up. Because and it's not if, worth fighting for anymore. It's, it's, it, it's not me to decide. But just to be it's clear – It's the will of the people. If Netanyahu got up yesterday, tomorrow morning and decides – you know what? I'm going to take down the walls. I'm going to. I'm going to. The settlement. I'm not going to expand settlements. Enough is enough. I really want to push towards two-state solution. He has every power, every power to do that. And then people may, like myself and others, will truly believe in that. But uprooting people all over again to to say that that's going to happen because do you understand when you look at the landscape and just map it out, it is almost absolutely impossible 
with how he has proceeded to divide, how he's proceeded to dissect and, and segregate communities, that it is impossible to, uh, for me to see a two-state solution without more people being Look, hurt. The, the Palestinian. Tell me a Republican could say that. T- tell me you could say that. I mean, even if you don't take the calming feeling to be the Holocaust, which, I'll be honest, I don't think that's what she was saying. Tell me you could put those words together in that salad. Tell me Trump could put those words in that salad and get away with it. We have spent two years over... There's some good people in that march. Two years. He cleaned it up in the beginning. The white supremacists are a piece of shit. But there were some good people just protesting uh, taking down of a statue. Nobody in the media, nobody in the world said that was okay. He was talking about a bunch of tiki torch marching. One dude got bricked almost to death and then killed a lady with his car. Tell me he could get away with it. But just like Omar and the media, you can run over to Seth Meyer and get a, oh, you're just misconstruing. She's apologized. That's what he always says. And then Tlaib or Omar or AOC or insert liberal can then take to the air, that being Twitter, and play it off as racism. Policing my words, this is her tweet, twisting and turning them to ignite. Vile attacks on me will not work. All of you who are trying to silence me will fail miserably. I will never allow you to take my words out of context to push your racist and hateful agenda. The truth will always win. Your racist and hateful agenda for saying my words. Tamika Mallory, a total anti-Semite. Leave her alone. She fights hard every day. She's full of passionate commitment to the most marginalized people, the kind of leader we need. She did to leave again. We can't allow the GOP to silence us, representing the 13th District strong on late night with Seth Meyer tonight with a hand fist. Punching people, I guess. And then you heard it. I got a text from my friend who's like, hey, next time you know, really clarify. Maybe talk like a fourth grader because maybe the racist idiots would understand better. Emily Landau, this interview of Seth Meyer with Tlaib is a true embarrassment. No, Meyer, she didn't say Palestinian was a safe haven. She said Palestinians created a safe haven. That is a grotesque and massively atrocious falsehood, and you fawn all over her. Other people, Neon Taser, they found their white knight. To McCain on our last podcast, Seth McCain grills McCain. Your Representative Ilan Omar comments were dangerous. To Tlaib, defends Holocaust comments to Seth Meyer, racist idiots twisted my words. Articles. Rashida Tlaib and the propaganda of her anti-Semitic deeds. I'm not going to read it. I don't have to. I don't have to. The thing is, her entire statement is anti-Semitic and historically totally inaccurate. You can't rewrite history, the left says, the media says, Democrats says, Pod Save America says, Obama says. I mean, for fucking eight years, every time a terrorist blew up a bunch of Muslims, usually, it was the Crusades' fault. 
I mean, he was historically incorrect because the fucking Crusades are direct reaction to Islamic attacks by Persians. I mean, that's why it happened. But fuck a history book. We rewrite history to fit whatever the crazy new cause du jour we have. Seth Mandel, Sheeb Tlaib is either completely ignorant of history or is deliberately a liar, charged Professor Benny Morris, one of the leading scholars of British mandatory Palestine, the creation of the state of Israel in 48 and the war of independence. Both Israel and Palestine scholars told Haratz that they had great difficulty embracing any view of history in which the Palestinians play any part in providing a safe haven to Jewish refugees of the Holocaust. Palestinian history, Dr. Adel Mana, a senior research fellow at the Van Leer Jerusalem Institute, expressed bewilderment when asked about Tlaib's safe haven reference. I don't know what she meant. Israeli historian and writer Tom Segev also said he was confused by Tlaib's safe haven description. I never heard anybody say that before. Harats. Uh, he told Harats, Boo Ratal, I really want to give her the benefit of the doubt, and she really meant it, but to me, and maybe I'm a cynic, it sounds like an attempt to be ironic or sarcastic. More from Harats. Palestinian historian Dr. Adel Mana, senior research fellow at the Van Leer Jerusalem Institute, expressed bewilderment when asked about Tlaib's safe haven reference. I don't know what she meant. He said the history shows that Jewish immigrants before, during, and after the Holocaust represented a colonial settler project that was clearly leading to Palestinian displacement. Throughout 30s and 40s, Mana said Palestinians actively resisted Jewish immigration, and they had in the period preceding the rise of Nazism. And therefore, it was not true that Palestinians play any role in creating a safe haven for Jews whose leaders were already planning to occupy their country and transform it into a Jewish state. Mana said Zionist leaders of the time, he added, needed people just as they needed the lands in order to make their settler colonial society strong enough to gain independence and occupy the country. Jonathan Greenbaugh, with regard to Tlaib's comments, three things could be true at the same time. When any public figure makes comments about deeply sensitive issues such as the horrors of Holocaust, they are inaccurate or misinterpreted. It's appropriate to clarify, correct their remarks. Two, Palestinians did not provide safe havens to Jew post-Holocaust. They opposed the entries of Jew to mandate era Palestinian and opposed the creation of a Jewish state alongside an Arab state. Three, nevertheless, it's not acceptable for elected leaders to weaponize others' comments about Jews of the Holocaust for political gain. To move forward in fighting anti-Semitism, we must end the blame game. Yeah, okay. Dem House Majority Leader Steny Hoare, GOP apologized. The Hill knew Republicans amp up. Attacks. That's a twist on pounce. New York Times fiercely defends Tlaib again. Targets GOP critics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they even say her words would say what she said was great. It was a Yahoo podcast about Palestinian role of founding Israel. It was questionable history and not particularly eloquent. But it wasn't what House Republican leaders suggest it was, a statement that the slaughter of 6 million Jews in the Holocaust gave Tlaib a calming feeling. The Republicans' moves are yet another sign that they're looking to exploit growing Democratic divisions over Israel for political gain by breaking the long-standing ties between Democrats and Jewish voters. Washington Post! Analysis. Republicans are ignoring reality to twist Representative Tlaib's Holocaust remarks. Ignoring reality. 
Here's a nice statement analysis. Progressive journos sure create trying to make excuses for Tlaib and Omar's anti-Semitism. Washington Post twisting reality to defend a liar who lied and whitewashed the historical crimes of Palestinian leadership and their attempts, their active attempts to deny any Jews any refuge. They never touched it. Neither did the New York Times. Yahoo News tweeted it out. During the interview with Skullduggery Pod, Michigan Representative Tlaib weighed in on the Israel-Palestine conflict and said her Palestinian ancestors provide a safe haven. Dr. Peter Marquette Bigman. Wow, this is breathtakingly vile, even for her. Jonathan Chait from New York Magazine. Republicans are straight up lying. To gin up anti-Semitism. We don't have to gin up anything. I'm not a Republican, but nobody needs to gin up anything. It's obvious. Omar and Tlaib are Islamists. They hate Jews. They hate America. They want a caliphate. And they like people who tweet about a caliphate. And they want Sharia. And they like people who tweet about Sharia. We've documented it for fucking a year. I don't, nobody has to gin up shit. CNN, of all people who defended it most of the time, actually fact checked it. Steve Guest. CNN fact checks the Dem rep Tlaib comment on Israel. John King. Tlaib ignored the facts that Palestinian leaders at the time allied themselves with Hitler, and that totals wars how the Arab world reacted to the declaration of the Israeli state. Robbie Starbucks, even CNN recognized Tlaib's comments on Israel are insane. Palestinians coordinated with Hitler to exterminate Jews. So since I bash CNN all the time, here's one time, one person, King, John Type 1H, actually said truths. Yes, as she said, Palestinians lost land in the creation of Israel. But she ignored the fact that Palestinian leaders at the time allied themselves with Hitler. And the total war was how the Arab world reacted to the declaration of Israeli independence. Joining our conversation, our global affairs analyst and former State Department negotiator, Aaron David Miller and CNN Sunland Sarfati. Aaron, let me start with you in the sense that um, she, she can't rewrite that history and you can't project revisionist history, so why? First of all, you know, I think there ought to be a ban on the deployment or employment of Holocaust imagery and metaphor in Washington politics. Every time it's used and deployed and has been by Republicans, Democrats, uh, it's, it's wrong. Genocide is not a unique event, but the willful murder, systematic organized murder of six out of every seven million European Jews is a unique event. And every time it's done, it leads to misunderstanding and antagonism. She also has her history wrong, I mean, on two points. Number one, uh, it's an arguable proposition, even had there been no Holocaust. Most of the institutions of the current state of Israel were in place before Hitler started killing Jews. So the Holocaust added urgency and international support. But I suspect, uh, with or without it, the state of Israel would would have come into being. And finally, on this notion that Palestinians either negatively or positively helped to create a safe haven for Jews. The reality is that the Arabs of Palestine, Hajimin al-Husseini, the Grand Mufti, in Nazi Germany collaborating, coordinating with the Nazis about what would happen if Rommel's Third Corps actually 
uh, had been successful in Egypt and been present in Palestine, they were considering extermination of the entire Jewish community there as well. So this was ill-timed, ill-advised, and, and I think it clearly is simply going to antagonize and polarize the already polarized debate in Washington. Which... So, of course, then Omar comes out. Ilian Omar viciously attacks Liz Cheney for calling out Tlaib's anti-Semitism. Cheney is fearless and properly called Tlaib out. Attacked, and then Tlaib, att- Omar attacked her with a tweet that was both vicious and self-pitying, ranting, give it up, we all know you never met a Muslim you didn't want to vilify. Your deep-seated hate and Islamophobia might be a tool to rally your base, but won't get rid your colleagues. You just have to deal. Yeah. Pam Keith, failed Democratic congressional candidate in Florida. Dinner all. When you see an attack on Ilion, Minnesota, or Tlaib, know that it's not because they are anti-Semitic, but rather because their attackers are Islamophobic. Yeah. David Ashenoff. They're not victims of attacks being called out. They have a history of making ignorant and at times anti-Semitic comments. The GOP is simply calling attention to it since the DEN leadership has failed to stop it. I take it a step further. The media has. Seth Meyer specifically. I mean, every time this happens, he brings them out, takes care of them. <clears throat> Representative Omar and Shakowski. We must confront the threat of white nationalism together. Yeah. That was an article. Then this. Ilian Omar, linked terrorist, owns jihadi training ground discovered in Alabama. Sajah Ib Wajah is the son of a Brooklyn Inam Isra Wajui, blah, 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 who's Linda Saucer's favorite person. The elder Waji is connected to Omar via rabid Jew hater and anti-Semitic Linda Saucer. Goes down what these people all are. She's been photographed with them the whole nine yards. Omar unleashes claims America is trying to eliminate the Muslim voice. Omar unleashed this week and claimed that America is trying to eliminate Muslim voices during an interview Tuesday on MSDNC. Omar was asked about our Democratic colleague Tlaib's racial remark. designed to silence, sideline, and sort of almost eliminate the public voice of Muslims. Omar began, really excited that we have an opportunity to build alliances and push back and fight this attempt to marginalize our community. It's time for us to make sure that we don't allow for them to use any misunderstanding there might be to divide us, and we collectively work together against the collective haters that coming from the right, right wing and white supremacy. See, that's their defense. Sexism, Islamophobia, white supremacy. That's all they do. Jesse Waters asks, please say something good about America. Unfortunately, Omar cannot. Oh, wow. Um, I just want her to say one good thing about America. Just one. I'd issue a challenge right now. Omar, please say one good thing about America. What, or at thing, least about Jesse. One thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's one a consolation. Thing. Jesse, Jesse, I love America. About America. You know, you know, I, we hear her so much say this, what's wrong with America. Just say what you're proud of. Um, that, I think that would maybe counterbalance some of the negativity that you hear coming out of her mouth. Also, we should send her a dictionary because... America is not bullying the people of Venezuela. It's Maduro and the Russian-backed uh, military that are taking away people's rights and shooting into the crowd and doing all those. She can't. She can't find anything to say. These people, 
Tlaib and Omar specifically, they support Hamas, they support everything. Hamas this week canceled school to send children to rioting at the Gaza border against Israel. Israeli Defense Force, breaking IDF intelligence, can confirm that Hamas has canceled school in Gaza tomorrow in order to send the children to participate in violent riots against Israel. In a follow-up tweet, the IDF Express called on Hamas to resist this awful tactic. During the hours of riots tomorrow, weather in Gaza expected to be around 80. This heat is a danger to children or susceptible to dehydration and heat stroke. We call on Hamas to keep their children in school and not endanger them at riots. Yeah, that that this is getting disgustingly repetitive. It is nonstop. The media is condoning it because they defend it. And Seth Meyers, who was on Pod Bros Save America, he's a piece of shit. He was always a piece of shit. He made me not watch Weekend Update because he was too political. And the things he said in his this was in the beginning of the Trump presidency is just unfucking believable. Just understand this. You made Trump become president, Seth Meyers. It was your bullshit at the correspondence dinner that embarrassed him and made him run. So you're the reason we have Trump. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. couple quick hits and we're going to go into abortion because it's gotten huge with Alabama and other states increasing their abortion Restrictions, which I'm all for, by the way. Citizens receiving home visits from political police. This is in New Zealand. They're asking them if they're Trump supporters, which dovetails into Wisdom Williamson County Sheriff Choney. This guy's from Texas. My family and I literally took a tour of the White House just hours ago. My daughter were in such awe that they wanted these shirts. 12 and 14 year old. Moments ago, some adult male screamed as he drove by, flipping the bird, calling them Nazis. I was in our nation's capital. So, coming to a theater near you. Pretty soon that will be the way it is. It'll be on job interviews. Did you vote for Trump? Nope, you cannot be here. So, let's go into the big outrage this week. Abortion. And now for this week's gotcha. Where Georgia is putting politics over business, a growing business that the peach state really needs. The news this week that Georgia's Republican Governor Brian Kemp signed that controversial heartbeat bill banning abortions once a fetal heartbeat can be detected drew swift reaction from the film and television community. Hollywood stars like Alisa Milano, Don Cheadle, and Gabrielle Union have already said they plan to boycott the state over the bill. And producer Jordan Peele says he plans to donate proceeds from his HBO series filming in Georgia to the ACLU and former gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams to fight this brutally restrictive abortion law. So this means Governor Kemp that you can kiss that nearly $3 billion in revenue from film tax credits you made last year, goodbye. And I know Georgia is not alone. 
Nearly two dozen states have proposed or passed measures restricting abortions. And Republican activists are trying to milk the new conservative majority in the Supreme Court to overturn the landmark Roe versus Wade decisions, decision that legalized abortions nationwide. But while these states try to fight over who can be the most barbaric and repressive toward women, Remember that groups like the ACLU and Planned Parenthood are pushing right back at Hollywood to that fight, Mr. Governor, and you've already lost to two things that truly make America great, creativity and the women that do the actual creating in art and in life. So on Mother's Day, when thousands of mostly black and brown women are dying, bringing life into the world. We are not letting politicians off the hook for punishing women for making decisions about their own bodies. Need more, needed be more clear than go ask your mama. She might not say it, but she's thinking, I got you. Emma is ready to outlaw virtually all abortions in an effort to get the Supreme Court to reverse protections for abortion rights nationwide. Abortion would be criminalized in Alabama, made a felony, and the way the law is written, it would punish doctors who perform them with up to 99 years in prison. The only exception would be if the mother's life were in danger. This bill to me appears to be about control. Democratic State Senator Linda Coleman-Madison is one of only four women in the 35-member Senate. All 27 Republicans are men. You don't know what you don't know because you've never been pregnant. It's the choice of two people. That's right. But it seems like only one is being thrown under the bus here. I apologize to the women of Alabama for this arcade law that we passed. Outraged women have been stalking lawmakers dressed as handmaids, channeling the television drama in protest. In The Handmaid's Tale, it is all about women's autonomy because women have been pretty much treated like breeding factories, and we believe that this is what laws like this do. But Democrats argue the Alabama bill will disproportionately endanger poor and minority women who already lack access to health care. Only half the state's 67 counties have an obstetrician. If the Supreme Court takes up an abortion uh, case, what are the chances they could overturn Roe versus Wade? Well, I mean, let's get that out of the way uh, right out the front. I mean, I think it's very, very slim that this new conservative Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe versus Wade at this point. These state laws are just coming too fast and they're too extreme. Yeah, so just follow up on that quickly. What's the likelihood that any of these restrictions will make it to the Supreme Court? Well, see, and I mean, that's the thing. They are so at odds. They're so restrictive uh, with Supreme Court precedent that they're getting struck down in the lower courts. Courts are blocking them from even taking effect. And then when the lower courts look at them and then look at the Supreme Court precedent, Roe versus Wade, a 1992 decision, uh, Pennsylvania versus Casey, that Casey decision, they're striking them down. So these laws may not ever even get to the Supreme Court. Like I said, it's almost too much uh, to... Now, you see this set of laws as a window into a larger political issue for you heading into 2020, which is a perceived war on women, whether it's equal pay, uh, equal rights to their own bodies. How broad do you see the agenda? Well, here's the deal. And I think that, that this, is, this all goes hand in hand. The House um, has been able in, in Congress to pass many bills uh, that have been uh, for women's benefits. 
Mitch McConnell has not had a hearing on one of them, Violence Against Women Act, the Equal Pay Act. Uh, it's it's incredibly unfortunate, but also really obvious. Now, I also want to point out that the Senate are the people that actually appoint judges. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump and McConnell have been able to push through over 100 judges in the lower courts. That is court stacking, uh, and and the Federalist Society. This has been a plan for them, in my opinion. That's the why Federalist elections Society, have consequences? Exactly, and the Federalist Society to me is just as dangerous as the NRA. Um, and we can't have a country that functions uh, with a democracy if our courts are are skewed um, and and one sided. Uh, so this is this is serious, and we need to take four seats back in the Senate. We need to gain four seats in the Senate. For that not to happen. So 2020 to me is not just about the president. Yeah, you know, Susan, it, it, I, one thing I always think about this issue when we talk about the politics of it is the polling on this it is very hard to pin down. I was, I was looking before the show. I could find a poll if you're on the pro-choice side. You could point to and say, hey, America's with me. I can find a poll if you're on the pro-life side. You could do the exact same thing with. So it, it, people seem to have um, often probably within themselves conflicting attitudes on this. I wonder the question. And then of which side ultimately politically is, is there one side that it matters more to? Well, I think what you see is it is conflicting because when you hear 20 or 24 weeks um, as a potential cutoff for abortion as an issue, that's really five or six months, which now because of medical technology, the fetus is viable at, at that point in its term. So people have a difficult time kind of relating what to do. And it is certainly a personal choice and, and, the, and a, one that a woman should make. This is the most extreme bill yet to pass, uh, and the other bills at least are under the guise of, well, fetal heartbeat, mm-hmm. you know, that it's at some point further into the pregnancy. The truth is that 99% of abortions occur within the first 21 months. So we're really talking about here about 21 weeks. Pardon me. Thank you. Uh, So we're really talking here about 1% of abortions. And then you have the cases which women are put in very, very difficult situations here where there may be a a health reason for the fetus, maybe not for the mother, but for the fetus, it may die when it's and when it's born. Um, All of these other reasons that need to be taken into account that will allow the Democrats, if you want to just talk about raw politics, to paint the Republicans as being the harsh extremists in this situation. And the polling bears that out, too, Chuck. The uh, let me bring up the polling. You just sort of told, you, you brought it up. Let me put it on the screen here. Here from the midterm, we've had, we have a few different ways I want to put it up here. Uh, in the exit polls during the midterm, should the Supreme Court, what should the Supreme Court do about Roe v. Wade? 66% keep it. Then we asked basic attitudes about abortion. This was from our friends, at, uh, I believe this was uh, a Pew poll, if I'm not mistaken. Legal in, yeah, legal in all cases, legal in most. And you see that that's basically combined those. That's 59% sort of on the more legal side. And you have 37% on the more illegal side. I mean, this is not a 50-50 issue, Ruth. No. The sweeping challenge to abortion rights in this country is picking up traction tonight and rallying activists on both sides. Alabama's newly minted abortion ban, not the first nor the last, as Missouri today moved a step closer to its own crackdown. The map of states that have recently introduced or enacted abortion restrictions, along with those moving to protect abortion rights, outlining the emotionally charged battle lines. Our Stephanie Gosk has the latest. 
With the ink barely dry on Alabama's new abortion law, the strictest in the nation, the movement to push anti-abortion legislation in other states is gathering steam. Stephanie, joining me now, what do we know specifically about these states that are trying to move to protect abortion rights? Sure, Lester. Well, the state of New York has already passed a law that protects abortion in the third trimester under certain circumstances. But there are 10 other states that are looking at proposals to protect abortions. One of them is Massachusetts, where the legislation proposes removing certain obstacles and expanding access. Tonight, could the culture wars now make a comeback as a top issue in 2020? Alabama's new law making virtually every abortion a crime, even in cases of rape and incest, sparked an intense debate there. Why are you putting yourself in God's shoes? It's not our place as humans to extinguish that life. Now, the measure is becoming a rallying cry nationally for 2020 Democrats, alarmed by a growing number of state laws restricting abortion. It's nothing short of an attack on women's basic human rights and civil rights. Women's health care is under attack and we will not stand for it. Yes, the media is ignited. I know it was weird doing bad company with bad company, but yeah, whatever. That's Al Sharpton. He's supposed to be religious. Okay. CBS and ABC losing it. Milano, the piece of shit. Everyone's pro-life, really? Really. PPFA does 330 to 340,000 abortions a year and 740 to 760,000 morning after pills. Okay. I, I I think it's always imperative to understand how they play the semantic game. All right, they're really big on semantics. You know the the, the whole twisting my words, blah blah blah. Don't twist my words. You're just playing politics. Here's the reality. I do this all the time. United States today, 870 abortions have already taken place. Since Roe v. Wade in America, 61,297,580 abortions. Planned Parenthood's in 1970, 8,419,421 abortions. This year, 131,175 PPFA abortions. United States this year to date, 335, 548 abortions. It just went to 548. The U.S. this year, after 16 weeks, 17,000. U.S. this year, due to rape, 3,000. Black babies, since 1973, 18,389,275. Worldwide, since 1980, 1,000,000. 535,235,120 and going up, and you'll get that point in a second. Worldwide this year, 15,417,515, just went to 15. Since I loaded this page, 105 abortions, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12, 13. Worldwide today, 37,348, 49,50. www.numbersofabortions.com. It's off the Gutenmeier, which is a preferred liberal site. 
So no, not everybody is pro-life. But what happened is back-to-back, the right pushed back to the left. And we're going to talk about what it's really about in a second. I got a good class on it reading a couple articles, and Ben Shapiro broke it down really well. But unlike the polls that they keep on running, especially Chuck Todd and our soundbite, America's not for this. The latest poll done by the Bla- the, Ra- the Blaze ran a poll with Hill Harris X survey shows that most voters believe six week abortion bans, which seek to ban abortion from the point that a fetal heartbeat can be detected, are either too lenient or just right. Thirty four percent of voters believe six week abortion bans are just right. Twenty one percent believe they're too lenient. Forty five percent of respondents call the bans too restrictive. Notably, the poll shows that younger voters are more likely than older ones to be supportive of the bans, and women do not significantly differ statistically from men. In the opinion of the issue, many voters under the age of 34, 30% call six-week abortion bans just right, 27% say too lenient. The results were 36-18% for ages 35-49, to 38-21% for 50-64, and 31-17% for ages 65 and over. That's a Harris poll. It's not a liberal one. So Alabama rolled out six weeks. Other one was fetal heartbeat. And the left lost it. Alexander DeSantis. Here is a Washington Post article on Georgia heartbeat bill describing the abortion prohibition as taking effect after a doctor can detect what they call a fetal heartbeat in the womb. Alabama lawmakers are making all abortions a felony, punishable with jail time, including women victimized by rape, incest. Of course, no added punishment for rapists. It's going to Governor Kay Ivey's desk. She will decide the future of women's rights in Alabama. This is from AOC. Here's the Alabama law. Here's Jerika Duncan. It's an issue that is very difficult. Alabama's Republican Governor Kay Ivey tweeted out this photo of her signing the controversial abortion bill that does not include exceptions for rape or incest. She hinted she would sign the bill a few hours earlier. All human life is precious. Where's the money coming from to support people who aren't ready to be mothers or aren't financially stable to take care of a child? You simply cannot... uh deferred protecting lives of unborn children because of cost. And House Bill 314 passes. Supporters voted in favor of the bill, hoping it will eventually reach the Supreme Court and help overturn Roe v. Wade. Good evening. We start with breaking news. 46 years after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled abortion a constitutional right, the state of Alabama has just openly defied that landmark decision. Moments ago, Governor Kay Ivey signed into law a bill that provides harsh prison terms for those found guilty of performing abortions and sets the stage for a new and potentially decisive court battle over one of this country's most emotionally charged issues. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey ignored the protests and took her pen to paper late this evening, signing this bill into law that effectively outlaws abortion statewide. Dr. Yashika Robinson works at one of the state's three remaining clinics, and she's frightened. Women will have limited options when it comes to how they handle pregnancies. 
basically their only option is going to be to continue a pregnancy. Mia Raven works full-time at a clinic less than a mile from Alabama's capital. Last year, doctors here performed more than 1,500 abortions. It's the only provider between Tampa, Florida and Jackson, Mississippi. We are always here for our patients, and we will continue to be here for our patients. Even if it means going to jail? Um, I don't think we'll get to that point, actually. The Alabama legislature voted yesterday to almost entirely ban abortion in their state. It's the most sweeping abortion ban seen in the U.S. since Roe v. Wade. Here to talk about it is one of our writers, Amber Ruffin. Hey, uh, hey Amber, what's, uh, what's going on? Well, I no longer have control over my own body. That's what's going on. I want to talk about abortion, but I have to do it like this. Yeah, but you don't live in Alabama. This law doesn't apply to you. No, but this is where our country is headed. So we figured we may as well get some practice. All right, well, so let's talk about it. Alabama's new law makes it almost impossible for a woman to get an abortion. You can't get one. You can't get one. No one can get an abortion. I mean, this is really serious, right? I know. And Republicans designed the bill to be challenged in courts so that they can try to overturn Roe versus Wade. It's a scary time to be a woman. I'm scared. I mean, I bet. I have a question. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yes? If Alabama's going to force women to have babies, are they going to help them take care of them? No. Alabama has no paid family leave laws. What? I know. I'm shocked. I know. Then who's going to help care for these babies and feed them and rock them to sleep? Wait, I'm sorry. You think that's how you rock a baby? I, I don't know. I'm a man. We don't know this kind of stuff. Yeah, no So what does it feel like to be a woman in America right now? I can tell you what it feels like. It feels like you're not even a person. Like you've been stripped of your humanity. That you're not valued by the men who are elected to serve you. And it makes you wonder where you'll get the strength to fight the battles that need fighting. Wow, that's uh, really powerful. But um, well, why are you lying on the floor? Oh, my guy's stuck in traffic. <laughs> I see you know. Uh... You know, we hear a lot. We hear a lot about women are doing to fight anti-choice laws, but but what can men do? Elect women. There it is, Seth Meyer. So let's get things straight. It doesn't punish the woman. It is the provider. It does make for the protection of a woman for health reasons. So why do they do that? Let's look at what's been happening. You had New York, you had Vermont, and a few other states pass laws that literally say a baby could come out. Do I need to play the soundbite seriously? I'm going to play the fucking soundbite. Let's do reason one. There's no exception. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion, even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support? 
support her measure and, and explain her answer. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you, one, uh, first thing I would say, this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. And do you think multiple physicians should have to weigh in as is currently required? She's trying to lift that requirement. Well, I think it's always good to get uh, a second opinion and for, for at least two providers to be involved in that decision because these decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I, w- I would certainly support more than one provider. All right. Let's uh, go back to the phones now uh, for the governor. We're going to talk now with uh, Mike, who's calling in. Now, remember, the media defended that codified Roe, a Catholic, Cuomo said. Subsequently, he was found to be a racist. His, uh, a, the fucking assistant governor is a fucking sexual harasser. They're all still in office, by the way. Nothing's happened. The media dropped that like a hot fucking potato. So you have this, and then you have PPFA that was a second court case that did say that states could make restrictions because Roe was just, hey, we're going to let you abortion. The next one was there could be restrictions. So what really is happening is not overturning Roe like the media's lying about. Yes, there is a percentage of pro-life people who want to overturn Roe, just like there's a percentage of PPFA people who believe you could kill your kid when they're in pre-med. I mean, that's just how they look at it. But the majority of Americans are for abortion, but for restrictions. We've done, you know, fucking Rasmussen. I mean, there isn't a poll that is for what the left is doing. We've done 48 different versions of the, the Baby Survival Act. The Dems won't vote it in, even though the people want it. So what is the pro-life movement doing? Well, by doing these, they know they're going to have liberal judges and PPFA, the ACLU, NARAL, which my daughter is a supporter of. They're going to push back and sue. These will take these court cases to the Supreme Court, and maybe finally we'll get the Supreme Court who decides to make law now, because they did it for the ACA, and they did it on Roe v. Wade, made law, superseding state law and all the other laws we have. Maybe 
They'll then go, okay, first trimester, no restrictions can happen in the first three months. After that, states can do whatever they want. That's their push. If they put rape and incest in the bill, the Supreme Court will say, well, then you're, you're not really for saving life. If you're saying rape and incest, well, then you don't want to protect the baby. So they purposely leave it out to make the legal argument. There is no constitutional credence in abortion. It's not there. We talked about it last podcast. It was a Supreme Court case after the stupid case where some states were saying only married people could have birth control. That's dumb as fuck. And so they jumped in and they pushed this bill. The very person who pushed this bill is against what abortion has come. She's pro-life now. Media doesn't cover that either because that just doesn't fit with them. They don't cover that PPFA was about eugenics and killing black babies. Yeah, and they don't cover that shit because that would be just totally bad, wouldn't it? I mean, this is legal wrangling. And who started it? If we're using Obama logic, the Crusades! Well, the left started this with the baby comes out, I don't like his eye color. Fuck that thing. Kill it. It's my right. It's my body autonomy, even when the baby's not in my body anymore. I mean, that's what you basically said. So Alyssa Milano got pissed off. It was supposed to call it fetal pole cardiac activities. Then Dear Press, stop calling humans humans. People replied, it makes us look bad. (laughs) Then they started attacking the people. Not one uterus. Not one uterus. Later on, they doxed them. Alyssa Milano and I.M. Walsia, the attempts to treat women as second-class citizens has become increasingly brazen. It's not the truth. Not even remotely the truth. They got a whole article on CNN, Why Time is Now for Sex Strike. I'm not reading it. It is pages. She just automatically, every time the left needs an op-ed, all they got to do is call WAPO, New York Times, or CNN. They get all the airtime. When the right needs to put something out, they only need to put, they can only put it in Fox News. And then everybody says Fox News is a Republican. Well, that's because the only network that brings other people on lets people talk. You won't let them do an op-ed. There's no pro-life positions inside the New York Times and WAPO, CNN. Ed Krasestein, for God's sake, leave Alyssa Lanham alone. We literally have neo-Nazis protesting holocaust remembrance events, and all the people can do is target Alyssa Milano for sex track. Somebody's reply, no, women already have control over their bodies. What you jerks want is freedom to kill babies. Hey, if you folks aren't having sex, all the better, because none of us wish you to decide to reproduce. I mean, the left is so against babies is you're not supposed to procreate because the planet's going to die and... uh uh, 11 years and 5 months or whatever the fuck I figured out last podcast or you're killing them Lily Adams, a woman president sure to be nice right about now hashtag Alabama problem is, the person who signed it's a woman you dumbass PPFA, the biggest abortion provider on the planet trans women deserve health care to Planned Parenthood also retweeted a celebration of mothers who don't identify as women but as transgender non-binary and gender non-conforming Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Trans non-binary, gender non-conforming mamas have always nurtured us. This Mama's Day 2019, we see you, we celebrate you, we commit to building a world that supports you. Send or download the card and sign the pledge. I put that in there because... 
That's how bad our media is. Planned Parenthood during a time like this when you're getting actual abortion bans. Like Alabama's a ban on abortion. They don't have to go full to the tilt. Not like the NRA. Because the media does it for them. The media is rolling out the red carpet. We need to kill babies. Then you got the Hollywood, a British model, and the good place actress Jamila Jamil list her preferred pronouns in her Twitter bio as she, her, but ghoul might be better. She literally shouts out her abortion. New York Times editorial page just straight up PR for abortion, Planned Parenthood. I just said it. I'm not going to read it. I, I don't need to read it. On the front lines of war of women in Alabama, the supermajority already wins. Oh! Mm. Barbara Streisand, if these were male GOP elected officials, could get pregnant, there'd be a free abortions nationwide, AOC. Male politicians could get pregnant, there'd be as many Planned Parent clinics as there are post offices. Yeah. That was an angle. Then back to Jamila Mill. She then once again decided, I'm going to shout out my abortion. It's anti-abortion law in Georgia, so upsetting, inhumane, and blatantly demonstrative hatred, blah, blah, blah. I had an abortion when I was young, and it was the best decision I ever made, both for me and for the baby I didn't want, and wasn't ready for emotionally, psychologically, and financially. So many children will end up in foster homes. P.S. This isn't any diss at all on foster homes. I mean, a lot of people do it, but if Georgia becomes inundated with children who are unwanted or unable to be cared for, it would be hard to find a foster home for them. The best decision I ever did. Mia Jakovic from Resident Evil, her horrific abortion story. I went through an emergency abortion two years ago. I was four and a half months pregnant, shooting in a location in Eastern Europe. I went to preterm labor and told that I had to be awake for the whole procedure. It was one of the most horrific experiences I ever did. That's because the baby was killing you. Emily Rakotskowitz poses nude to punish old white people. This week, 25 old white men voted to ban abortion in Alabama, even in case of incest and rape. The men in power are imposing their will on the bodies of women in order to uphold the patriarchy and perpetuate the industrial prison complex by preventing women of low economic opportunity the right to choose the right not to produce. The states trying to ban abortion are states that have the highest proportion of black women living there. This is about class and race and is a direct attack on the fundamental human rights. Blah, blah, blah. The world went, why are you posing nude? I tweeted her, you don't know how babies are made, because that's the, no, we just made people horny. What the fuck? Hollywood libs convulse. Most liberals not only don't live in Alabama, they never visited the state, but that hadn't stopped the fury over the state's attempt to limit the availability of abortion. After the state Senate voted 25 to 6 in favor of the liberal media attacking as a near-total abortion ban on May 15, celebrities who celebrate and revere abortion rights reacted on Twitter as if they were possessed and splashed with holy water. (laughs) The Alabama effort to limit abortion except when necessary to protect a woman's health caused many actors and comedians to wail and gnash their teeth. The bill does not include rape or incest exceptions, according to Reuters. From former Daily Show regulars to show hosts, Disney directors, and Hamilton star Lynn Man Moanda, profanity, insults, and anger prevailed. 
Show host Samantha B ordered, stay out of our snatches. Another comedian slimed all of Alabamians as being born from rape. Another insisted that this is war. Comedian and former Daily Show producer Jenna Friedman lashed out against Citizens Alabama, tweeting, if, a bal- if in Alabama life begins at rape. Nice shock humor there, lady. Something tells us your reproductive right crusade has nothing to do with charity for others. Unfunny liberal talk show B tapped into her usual private part of Seth's comedy. The woman who recently claimed that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was a hideous as a pinworm in your anus tweeted out, Stay out of our snatches, you bastard. Daily Show creator Liz Winstead rallied against the Alabama legislature, urging her fellow liberal abortion lovers to step the fuck up. Winstead further said, I love the people of Alabama want to punch their politicians in the cock. Her anger was to be expected given that she created an entire rapid response reproductive rights message hub called Lady Parts Justice to lobby against pro-life. And it just goes on and on and on. We don't need to read it all. Um, We just don't. Okay, Cupid. Skip the small talk and ask about Georgia's abortion ban. That's how invested in abortion society is. It's it's sad. Tuttle Singer. Dear pro-life friends, what have you personally done to support lower-income single mothers? I'll wait. That was a big thing. What are you doing? You're turning them all away. You don't care. There was uh, memes and black kids living in ditches. Then you got the, this angle. Sperm has DNA. DNA is when life begins. Every sperm is a potential human being, so no more masturbating, gentlemen, unless you want to be convicted of a felony, carrying a cell phone in your pocket damages your sperm, so no cell phones either. Skirts only for men. To protect sperm, must sit down. Blah, blah, blah. It was a variation of what we talked about last week. It's a different person. That was good. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, so good. Jill Philippic. Pregnancy and childbirth cause serious and permanent changes to many women's body require that a quarter inch be cut over man's penis for every pregnancy he created. Cut off penises. Okay. HuffPost. Many white supremacists embrace the conspiracy theory that white people face extinction. To them, Alabama's abortion bill represents one solution to stop black people from reproducing. So it's white supremacy. Yeah, that's good. The Atlantic, how social and economic factors widen abortion racial gap for women of color. A person's reply, for the billionth time, abortion is harmful to minority communities and always has been. White supremacists love abortion because they think it's main of controlling the population. If you truly wanted to help minorities, you'd be against abortion. So they bought into that, but they at least did it. Matt Walsh, gender is a social construct, but I am woman, hear me roar, but anyone can be a woman, but no uterus, no opinion, but trans women are women, but I demand women's right that are men are women, but men are our scum, but drag queens are beautiful, but appropriation is evil, and then people threaten to kill and murder his wife and kids. Yeah. Facebook blocked from being able to share that tweet on Facebook. Twitter actually did a Twitter moment for this. I'm going to try to pop it up here. Give me a second. Just a second, and it's working. It's thinking. Women share their abortion experiences in the wake of these laws. One in four women have had abortion. Many people think they don't know someone who has an abortion. I had an abortion when I was young, and it was the best decision I ever made. 
You know me, and you know that I have no shame. Refusing to have a child with an abuser was the best, safest decision. You know me, we shouldn't have to share private medical decisions we make with our doctors, but here we are. I was 20 years old, I'd been with my boyfriend for two years, we're doing big things in our lives, so I killed the baby. I was 16 and the condom broke. I was 24, full-time student, got in the way. Uh, in 2012, an abortion, I wasn't ready. I was 16. I was 26. You know what I always say to these? It's called contraception. Use it. It's free. We fought for it. Didn't we? Didn't you fight for it? The media? Every woman should get free of fucking contraceptive? Yeah. Then in Heather Watley... Excuse me, Whaley. We went to the doxing. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce Larry Stutz, state senator from Alabama, who loves it when girls who have been raped by a family member are further tortured by being forced to carry a rapist. Hi, Larry. We see you. And they went down to every person. She also did the meme, a perfect depiction of pro-life. Stop, baby, and black people go fuck yourself. Yeah, that was their picture. Daily Beast writer, Alabama pro-life laws are the South's new slave laws. Yeah. Here, I mean, they're just not missing an angle. Catherine Van Ardonk. So the Big Bang Theory has deliberately been as apolitical as it gets, and I feel pretty sure this is an accident. But after a long-established note that one character doesn't want to ever have kids, I feel like absolute bullshit to end the series by making her be pregnant and not get an abortion. That happened on two other shows that I didn't cover. I found tweets online with people pissed off that the characters were happy to have kids. They should have not wanted the kids. It would be better for the cause if you killed the baby. Not making that up. That, that's a thing. That, that's an actual thing. Then now this was the next angle. Just 24 hours after Alabama governor signed the nation's most restrictive anti-abortion bill into law, the pro-life state is killing a man by lethal ejection. Then, Juno Ryder. In a way, I feel like I had a responsibility to be more explicitly pro-choice, and I wasn't when I wrote it. She should have killed the baby. But the one that I liked the most was Alabama is a sanctuary state for babies. That was all over Twitter, and I loved it. Because if you can have sanctuary states, and you can get upset when brown babies die, which really is the most of Planned Parenthood's abortions, you fucking idiots, and you sanctuary state and break the law, but now you're crushed that Alabama goes, fuck you, to your pre-med abortions, well, you're just a fucking hypocrite. If breaking the law is okay, and, and you heard NBC, they believe that's a law. A law is created in the House and Senate. The GOP's been trying to create a law to stop third trimester's abortions. The Democrats won't do it, but the Supreme Court, through Roe v. Wade, made a law? Judicial branch doesn't make law, they enforce laws. 
These are the constitutional people that say that we're ripping up the Constitution, Trump's doing it every day and wiping his ass. So we end this with some sound bites. First, two attacks, once again, one my wife found for me of a UNC student stealing a sign and getting arrested because she ended up lying and saying she didn't know who she didn't have a driver uh, a fucking ID and was all obstinate and that's what she got arrested for. The cop was just telling her you can't take people's property, but <clears throat> she wanted to be you know a liberal. Hate the cops too. And then another one where guys on a street corner protesting across the street from an abortion clinic and two cars come up and start cursing at him and the lady comes up and beats the shit out of the lady who's holding a camera because you don't have the right to record me. But I have the right to curse you on a street corner. Just remember that. And then more sadly, as we know, over in Ireland they approved abortion against the wishes of Protestants everywhere. They're doing the European thing, which is what the left wants, which is going to basically selectively birth babies in this world we live in. And they were told to abort their baby. But after they aborted the baby, they find there was nothing wrong with their child. That'll take us straight into hate tweets. So We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. This is a warning. Ma'am, don't steal the sign. You can't steal the sign. You're on camera stealing the sign. Sam! Officer, she's stealing the sign. And you're about to walk right into a police officer who you're committing theft right now. Don't throw it over. Don't do that. Don't do that. Still or I just moved it. You just did what? I just moved it. You just moved it? But you took it. Okay. Who was holding it? Me. She just ripped it out of my camera. She just ripped it out of my hand. She just ripped it out of your hand? Yes. Why did you rip it out of his hand? Because this restricts women's rights. Restricts women's rights? He's, he's... Could you get off the sign, please? Lies on college campus. Okay. Can, Where you I go? Can you get off the sign for your damaging property? Okay. I can't believe you're off the sign. You're not going anywhere. Right now you're being detained. Okay. Detained for what? Uh, larceny? You stole his sign. He has it back. Okay, yeah, I because I got 50. it from you. I moved it 50 yards. I don't care if you moved it one foot. You don't have a right to take someone's property. Okay? Period. I don't care what the circumstance is. You don't have a right to take anyone's property. He was holding it. Therefore, it was his. And you took it. Okay? I know you may not agree with what's being said, but you don't have a right to take someone's property. Period. Okay? Once it's in the Look, sir, I'm not trying to get arrested. Do you have ID on you? No. I'd be asked. Okay, why not you need to find out what's going on with this 
Oh, I'm not trying to hit me, but I do have to enforce the wall, okay? That's just how it is, alright? Do you see us being subjected to this shit? Okay, well, this is a public place, okay? They have a right to be here. You don't like their views, you can go away. You don't have to watch it. You don't have to be here. They're here because they want us to watch them. Okay, well, then you can ignore them. If you ignore them, that takes away their power. Just that simple. Okay? It doesn't matter how much you ignore them. They're going to come back. They're going to come back again. And this is why women have such a problem getting abortions in uh, North Carolina. Okay. And y'all just let them get away with this shit. Okay. Okay. I cannot believe y'all let this happen. All I did was I just walked it over here. I was going to give it back okay, to him. Well, I, I don't just... know that, man. I didn't know that. I came over here and then you rested against the sign. So listen, we need to make it difficult to call the scene. Take your back back off. I'm going to have to get more behind the back. I cannot believe this okay, is happening. Right now I'm asking you that. Is there something else that I can do? No. I just told you you're under arrest. I cannot unarrest you. And the judicial system must do that. That's why we're going to go to you. Right? Put your hands together. That doesn't test well. The other side doesn't test well. Yeah. Um, they purposely not... Trying to be Christian, like they're professing Christians, but they didn't give them the gospel. Yeah. You need to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Christ, Christ is your own hope of salvation. Maternity Hospital is to commission an external review into the circumstances of a termination of pregnancy in March. It follows a complaint by a couple who'd been informed that tests showed that their much-wanted baby had a fatal fetal abnormality. Issues have arisen regarding the interpretation of those tests. Well, our health correspondent Fergal Bars has more, more on all of this. Fergal, what can you tell us? Well, the, uh, the couple involved who I understand are, are devastated by, by what they see has happened. The, a complaint was made to the National Maternity Hospital uh, recently and the hospital has this evening uh, commissioned an external review into the circumstances of this termination of pregnancy which occurred in March of this year. Uh, it follows that um, issue raised by the couple who had been informed that tests two initial tests had shown that their most much wanted baby had a fatal fetal abnormality. Uh, issues have arisen regarding the interpretation of those tests. 
Now, the issue appears to relate to the initial test, the first two tests. Uh, however, it appears that the final test that came through post-termination uh, uh, indicated that the baby uh, was fine, that there wasn't this fatal fetal abnormality. Hatred of the day! But, but Chris, if I may, uh, as they say in Congress, a point of personal privilege, I was hearing your interview with Senator Manchin about Lindsey Graham. Lindsey has been a friend of mine for so many years. I used to be able to pick up the phone and talk to Lindsey anytime I wanted. He hasn't picked up the phone in a long time, so I'm going to use your, uh, your, your show to talk to him. Look, I was so proud to be a supporter of Lindsey Graham. I hosted fundraisers for him. I traveled with him. I love this man. He was a truth speaker. He was a straight talker. He was John McCain's best friend. When I see what has become of Lindsey Graham right now, it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart because this is not the Lindsey Graham I know. Like Senator Manchin, I too don't recognize him. I know he is a man who loves his country, who is a patriot, who has served his country. I am proud and grateful for his service. But I am hoping uh, that Lindsey Graham realizes that he is not serving this country well. He is not serving the Constitution well. He is not serving the memory of John McCain well. Ask himself, what would John McCain do in this moment? You know, he is not in Congress. He is not in the U.S. Senate to be Donald Trump's accomplice, Donald Trump's lawyer, Donald Trump's defender, an advisor, a legal advisor for Donald Trump Jr. He is there to represent the people of South Carolina. He is there to defend the U.S. Constitution. Lindsay. Go back to being Lindsay. I feel like, like it's like an episode of The Body Snatchers, that horrible sci-fi movie from the 1970s. Look, first of all, I think Lindsey Graham represents the people of South Carolina, not pundits on CNN, not anyone in the media. He does what the voters in his state want him to do, and that's why he's going to get reelected. Secondly, I just love it when people love a politician when they're on their side and they think they have great integrity and they're so uh, uh, thoughtful when they agree with them. But when they disagree with them, they're no longer thoughtful. They're no longer an expert. They're no longer a legal expert, which Lindsey Graham is. Now they've lost their way. Maybe he was he's the same person the entire time. And he actually has an opinion about this because he's been in Congress for a long time and has a lot of expertise in it. And so I think Lindsey's doing exactly what he thinks is the right thing to do. And my guess is he has a clean conscience and he feels democracy in the United States is being tested. Every day brings new headlines about more subpoenas and more legal spats and more stonewalling. Democrats say we are in a constitutional crisis. And I just keep asking myself, how are news consumers, how are citizens supposed to make sense of all this? Uh, the panel is back here with me now, Jess McIntosh, Julian Zelizer, and Catherine Rampell. Catherine, if I had to have you summarize this week and all of these dra dr dramatic developments in a, in a headline, in a one-sentence headline, what would the headline be? I would say the frog has been boiled. <laughs> really? Yes. So we're at that point now. Yes. I, you know, I'm referring, obviously, to this old adage about that if you, if you put a frog in a pot of water and you slowly raise the temperature, the frog won't, won't jump out, right, because they don't get that they're um, uh, about to be boiled. Mm -hmm. um, look, I think that the public has basically become inured to the idea that Trump is um, just going to 
um, break norms, break laws, violate the Constitution, uh, violate pretty clear uh, statutes. And that's just Trump being Trump. You know, it's not a threat to democracy, um, that there is no constitutional crisis, that it's all outrage. It all kind of blends together. And it's just it's just drama playing out. The on situation TV. you're describing is kind of scary, though. Oh, just, absolutely. You laughed at the idea of the fraud. <laughs> I think probably laughing in agreement. What, what would your headline be? Trump is banking that you can't keep up. I, I think the, the the headline from this week is that there were there were too many headlines, and he is he is he is absolutely putting all of his faith in the fact that the American people do not have the time to follow all of the twists and turns of machinations of, of what he is trying to hide, the things that he is stonewalling on, the pieces of information that he's refusing to give up, even after being legally compelled to do so. I, people are busy; they have jobs and lives and families. They're not able to follow a 24-hour tick. I'm hardly able to follow a 24-hour news cycle. <laughs> but you're coming at this days. as a liberal commentator. What do you want the press to do differently? I, I, what I really want is to put some pressure on the Republican Party at this point. The only reason why we're in a constitutional crisis, the framers actually saw the chance that we might have a president who refused to comply by the rule of law. What they didn't see was that the entire political party who got them there would be engaged in helping them undermine our own democracy. Mm. At some point, we have to ask Republicans how much they're willing to sacrifice in the future principles in order to let this guy run away with everything. That's, of course, Nirvana, Navarro losing it, reliable sources. Trump voters are dumb. We've got a lot of GND in here. Screen New Deal support slips. Washington Post blames GOP and Fox News. Not the shitty fucking bill. I'm not even going to break it down, all the things they said they have to do. The article does. It says, oh, it's great stuff because it's Democrats. Yeah. Mark Stefano in the email to staff, The Guardian says, is changing the style guide when reporting on climate change. You know, we talk about fascism and the words you can or cannot say. Listen to this. Climate emergency crisis instead of climate change. Global heating instead of global warming. Climate science denier instead of climate skeptic. Do they remember we've done this like 12 times? Like 12 times. You just keep changing your verbiage. You think it's going to work? People don't want to spend trillions of dollars redoing their house. The Hill. AOC compares GOP to Dwight from The Office. They thought it was cute. Okay. Then Bill Nye loses it, and the left just loved this. He curses and goes crazy on last week tonight. I'm going to play that in concert with the presser for de Blasio on the Green New Deal. People are heckling. The very fact that we're still talking about the Green New Deal is really encouraging. Plus, the percentage of conservative Republicans who say they are very or somewhat worried by global warming has more than doubled in the last five years. Even Mitch McConnell finally acknowledged the role of humans in climate change for the first time a few weeks ago. And yes, that is a bit like him giving a speech titled, Alf is actually just a big puppet. I mean, yeah, Mitch. We all fucking know that, Mitch. It's embarrassing it's taken you this long to accept it. But better late than never, I guess. And look, however bumpy its rollout was, to its eternal credit, the Green New Deal has succeeded in getting people talking. But that won't mean anything unless that talk now turns to actions. And putting a price on carbon could potentially be one of them. Although, let me reiterate, it will not be enough on its own by a long shot. We're going to need a lot of different policies working in tandem, and we have to take action right now. 
But, but, but you don't have to just take that from me. Instead, I'm happy to say that Bill Nye has actually agreed to help drive the urgency home at this point but by actually doing one of his enjoyable, light-hearted demonstrations. So, Bill, please, please, do you have a fun experiment for us? Here, I, I've got an experiment for you. Safety glasses on. By the end of this century, if emissions keep rising, the average temperature on Earth could go up another four to eight degrees. What I'm saying is the planet's on fucking fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the fuck up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Safety glasses off, motherfuckers. I think we've all broken Bill Nye. And I, for one, am absolutely on board with his new gritty reboot. That's our show. Thank you so much for watching. So I got a soundbite of AOC pretty much attacking Biden. I'm not going to play it, but she's basically saying that I'm not going to let these middle-of-the-road fucking losers that didn't do anything back then, they better do it now. I think she likes Bernie and de Blasio because de Blasio wants to ban buildings. Somehow glass and steel are bad. Time runs. Now I'm speaking to the whole world how teen climate activist Greta Thunberg got everyone to listen. You ever heard of her? I never have. I don't know who the hell she is. So then we get de Blasio's rollout after... You know, I played that one, but here's his video, and, and, you know, he's pulling at less than a percent. There's plenty of money in this world. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. Here in New York City, a place that is legendarily tough and big and complicated. Good thing about New Yorkers is they look the same whether they're really pissed off at you or they like you. We built an agenda that puts working families first. We had to fight all over the city, all over the state, to make sure that people got a decent wage. We are raising the wage to $15 an hour. Waitresses and dishwashers and store clerks and people who work in small manufacturing firms, a backbone of New York City. You will have the legal guarantee for the first time of paid sick leave. This has never existed anywhere else in this country. Fully comprehensive, guaranteed health care. My wife, Shirlane, and I believe health care is a human right. It has to be available for all. It has to be affordable. And it has to include mental health services. Everything begins with being healthy. And there's no health without mental health. Today we announce free, full day, high quality, pre-K, People come up to Bill every day and thank him for making that possible. It makes a real difference in a child's life, makes a real difference in a family's life. It doesn't matter if you live in a city or a rural area, a big state, a small state, doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. People in every part of this country feel stuck or even like they're going backwards. But the rich got richer. I'm a New Yorker. I've known Trump's a bully for a long time. This is not news to me or anyone else here. And I know how to take him on. 
When Donald Trump started separating families. Our message to the federal government is simple. Stop this broken, inhumane policy right now. We sent lawyers to the border to help protect those families. When he told us he was going to cut off our security funding, we took him to court and we beat him. When we saw our national government walk away from the Paris Agreement, we doubled down. This battle to save our Earth will be won or lost in our lifetime. There's no second chance. Don't back down in the face of a bully. Confront him. Take him on. As president, I will take on the wealthy. I will take on the big corporations. I will not rest until this government serves working people. As mayor of the largest city in America, I've done just that. De Blasio for president, guys. Donald Trump must be stopped. I've beaten him before, and I will do it again. I'm Bill de Blasio, and I'm running for president because it's time we put working people first. You remember Obama dick dancing around redistribution? Dems are so brazen now, it's like, we're taking people's shit. He's not going anywhere. ABC 7, Jefferson Davis Highway is officially being renamed in Arlington. It's estimated it will cost Arlington County about $17,000 to update street signs on the 2.5 million mile stretch of road that sits within Arlington County borders because it's got a bad name. That makes sense. Jim Acosta, down in Louisiana, Trump is clearly politicizing what is supposed to be an official White House speech hitting Beto O'Rourke, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders. Eight years, Obama bully pulpited. You, on CNN, said it was the greatest thing. He really knows how to campaign. He doesn't stop campaigning. He uses that lectern for his political progress. Yeah. Trump does it. It's bad. But my favorite Acosta tweet, Mama Duck and Duckling entering the White House grounds. Three, two, one. The White House immediately separated the mother from her duckling. That was all his followers. Which I always think is funny when CNN says their objective news. If you read their, their any of their personalities, followers, they are the resistance. Kristen Gillibrand blames sexism for low poll numbers, failing presidential campaign. I'm not giving her any more time, and so I'm just going to read the headline. Google directs users to CNN.com three times more than Fox. Are we surprised by this? A study done by Columbia Journalism Review. I don't think that's Republican. Stated that out of every top 20 searches results in Google's top stories. The search engine relied on CNN more than any other news site. Furthermore, the top 20 news sites that made it to Google's top stories had only one outlet that didn't lean left, Fox. Aside from Fox, Google didn't feature prominently any other news site that doesn't lean left. Our data shows that 62.4% of the article impressions were from sources rated by the researchers as left-leaning, whereas 11.3% were from sources rated as right-leaning. That's more than 5 to 1 ratio. The audit of Google's top stories featured was created by searching for 200 queries related to hard news with a scraper. The scraper removed all personalized factors from Google searches in order to make the research as generic as possible. It saved 6,302 links from top stories featured 
Overall, CNN had 10.9% of all impressions as opposed to Fox, which only had 3% of all impressions. The other sites were New York Times, WAPO, BBC, USA Today, LA Times, The Guardian, Politico, ABC, CBS, NBR, NPR, NBC, CNBC, Reuters, HuffPo, The Verge, Al Jazeera, The Hill, and People Magazine. Al Jazeera had more returns than Fox. It was a leaked document. It wasn't supposed to get out. The top stories linked to a variety of outlets. For one query, 75% of the impressions came from either CNN or the New York Times. But Google has no bias in their algorithms. Remember that. Yeah. You can't watch this. New document documentary exposes online censorship. An upcoming documentary explore five people who have been shut down and silenced on social media. The official Twitter account, Censorship Movie, tweeted a trailer of the documentary May 12th. Breaks down all the people that have been booted off. I will review it. I promise. And we'll play sound bites. New York Times becomes a social radical rioting chic. Advocates for welfare rights. Not biased. Democrats back bill to ban sale of gas-powered cars by 2040. That'll show up. And then we have the ultimate in hypocrisy. Fox News offered Elizabeth Warren a town hall. So, so far, Bernie's the only one that's gone over there. The people on The View bashed her for not going over. Well, what was her response? Elizabeth Warren just posted this on Instagram. I love town halls. I've done more than 70 since January, and I'm glad to have a television audience be part of them. Fox News has invited me to, to do a town hall, but I'm turning them down with four people from Fox. I only grabbed three. Japir, uh, what's, what's her name? Perino? Whatever that judge lady is. Hannity and Tucker. Stop the hate for profit Fox News racket. David Ruiz, The View, host all rip Warren for refusing to go on Fox. Very dismissive. Short-sighted on her part. Greg Polowitz. Weird. Elizabeth Warren is trying to put Fox News out of business and nobody in the MSM is calling her out. Brian Seltzer comes to the rescue. Here's a split. Dems who go on Fox focus on who's watching. Big audience, not all rock-solid Republicans. Dems who reject Fox focus on what they're watching. The content in Warren's words is hate for profit. That's designed to turn us against each other. As a staunch supporter of the First Amendment and the freedom of the press, you will without a doubt be condemning these comments, which are a threat to our democracy. Correct, people ask. It is an attack on our very concept of freedom. Three years on CNN nonstop. What's the difference between Warren and Trump's enemy of the people? No replies. Red states. Some attacks on the media are better than others. Odd. We're not hearing how her words could put journalists' lives in danger as attacks on the free press seem to rise. They're fucking hypocrites. To our tweets of the day. Chick-fil-A, a charity chief, Grace Filled response. An interview with Business Insider. The calling to help people, and I think at times that has been confused with calling somehow to exclude, exclaimed Bullard, according to Blaze. And that's not the case. The focus, the phrase every child, we're very intentional about that. We do have programs, we look for programs that are inclusive and well as help 
every child. As noted by Business Insider, Chick-fil-A has received a backlash for donating to Christian organizations like the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Salvation Army. Far-left outlets have labeled such charities as anti-LGBT for their stance on same-sex marriage. Bullard, who formerly served as White House Fellow under the Obama administration, highlighted the Chick-fil-A Chick-fil-A Foundation works with more than 300 partners primarily focusing on lower income and underserved youth. He also said he believes supporting on a Chick-fil-A Foundation donations have failed to dig into what the funds have gone towards, such as children in need and not any specific religious sect. Under Bullard's, Chick-fil-A has focused on low-income youth and economic inequality. Bullard said a child born in poverty in Atlanta has just a 4% chance of achieving self-sufficiency. Regardless of where you may find yourself on any particular issue, this is our collective problem and that we all can be part of the solution. At the end of the day, the calling for us is to ensure that we are relevant and impactful in the community and that we're helping children and that we're helping them to be everything they can be. The executive made it clear that the company's charitable mission will not be slowed down by unfair criticism. For us, that's a much higher calling than any political or cultural war that has been waged. This is really about an authentic problem that's on the ground that is present and ever-present in the lives of many children who can't help themselves. Charity heads that Chick-fil-A has to do more of telling the story of our need, and we have to do more of doing the work, because at the end of the day, this is about the work. It can't be about me personally, and it can't be about anything other than doing work for the kids. That's why I'm here, he said. That's why we're all here, and I love that about Chick-fil-A. There really is a sincerity in our employee base, sincerity that comes from the top down, that is really about a mission. As reported by Daily Wire last week, Chick-fil-A has chugged along to a massive success as the third-rated chain. But all you're going to hear is about a comment made by the CEO in 2012. You're idiots. To our Tweet of the Day soundbite, what do we have here? I think I have two. Um, no, I just have one. Tucker Collison bashing Omar, and I love it, to a music break, and then we're going into news, social, media nuggets. But for the left, whether the country benefits is not the point. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, herself a symbol of America's failed immigration system, if there ever was one, someone who hates this country, coming here at public expense, spent yesterday demanding the abolition of ICE, the decriminalization of illegal immigration itself, and an end to all deportation programs. She demands open borders, the unlimited arrival of anyone who wants to come to America, whether they have anything to contribute or not. And by the way, you get to pay for it. And if you don't want...
trying to get crazy with this scene. Don't you know I'm loco? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military coroner, sadly, one soldier killed, 12 injured in Humvee rollover at Fort Polk. They were doing a training exercise. It's the Joint Readiness Training Center. Um, he was from the 1st Special Forces Command Sergeant, Staff Sergeant Jacob Hess, <coughs> 34, was assigned to 97th Civil Affairs Battalion, 95th Civil Affairs Brigade from Fort Bragg. And that's really sad um <clears throat> i have one major article i wanted to cover because i serve there so let's do the small stuff first at a marine base officials must protect endangered tortoises from murderous ravens and that is at barstow base logistics center the marine corps there uh, more to follow on that when i cover the national training centers our article Families of killed, injured troops who contract over Bagram and Fun Run. It seems like um, in 2016, they employed them. And that's how they killed their soldiers. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes out. And then a crash in Alaska. Two of the Bush planes hit each other. And, uh, buddy, shut it. Sorry about the puppy. He was being good, now he's being bad. Uh, they collided with each other. And uh, they pulled them out of the water. It's kind of sad. And on a small article, Fort Knox privatized their base housing. And it seems to be the most successful one. A lot of people forget that back in the day, Fort Orr was the first to ever do it. They brought in civilian contractors. They made these houses. That was the nicest house. Until now that I've done all this remodeling on my house, which, you know, yesterday a new deck surface and new floors and yada, yada. You know, we replaced AC, the whole nine yards. Um, that was the nicest house until now. That house was so beautiful. We were young. It was a two-story, three-bedroom, beautiful home. It was basically townhouses, uh, duplexes side-by-side. Side. But it was modern and nice. And, man, we just loved that 18 months there. We didn't want to leave that home. Uh, it was on Devers. Still remember the address. But but our major story is about the National Training Center. Um and that was the ending of my career. I was observer controller that followed a platoon of tanks or infantry around the desert. And for those that aren't familiar, we have two huge training centers. One is at Fort Polk. It's called the Joint Readiness Training Center. It used to be at Fort Chaffee. And that is done for basically in the woods, all right, in, in a... Um, Urban train because they'll have you know houses and villages and a huge complex called Sugar Garden, which those are familiar with the podcast. I already broke it down and hit that thing like sixteen times. It was the worst. You never make it. You all die. And then <clears throat> um, it, when it was a Chaffee, you literally went into Fort Smith, cut the fence, and infiltrated in. It was just a fantastic uh, site. Um, and then they moved it to Polk because of the 5th Infantry Division was shut down, and, and that's where it's at now. Then you have the National Training Center, which is a desert warfare. For years, that was for what? Tank battles, right? And mechanized infantry. There were no buildings. But during my time, because we were dealing with 
Iraq and Afghanistan, they started building connex houses. It kind of sucked. Big villages. We talked on the show. One year, they literally um, did the Fox Super Bowl. Part of it from one of the villages is a junction city. It's right when you go in the box from the Catolman area. And it's a huge city now. I mean, they actually put a few buildings in. But they had to try to urbanize that desert to do village and cordon and searches and things like that. Well, now we're going back. So this article is a National Training Center. Soldiers now train for what they dread, a fair fight. After a long night of waiting, Bradley Fighting Vehicles from 3rd Infantry Division, 2nd Armored Brigade Combat Team, or ABCT, surged through a breached obstacle to attack enemy forces in official town of Rizish. It's mid-morning on May 8th, infantrymen wearing bulky chemical protective suits and carrying rucksacks, weapons, and ammunition dismount and sprint across the closest buildings on the outskirts of one of the National Training Center's largest urban complexes. Enemy rifle and machine gun fire echo through the air. M1 tanks and Bradleys from the 2nd ABCT begin to take direct fire from the opposing forces and anti-tank weapons. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Get inside, get inside. Infantry leaders shout, hey, hey, we got a dude in the window up there. Another soldier shouts. In the confusion, small unit leaders begin to push stacks of infantrymen deeper into the town. We've got to move straight across the street. What we'll do is bound and lay down covering fire for each other, leader shouts. The soldiers and leaders from the 2nd ABCT, which was directly con- converted into an armored unit, are in the middle of a rough three-week decision-action rotation at National Training Center, a critical part of the Army's strategy to make combat units ready to face, wait for it, Russia and China in a major war. We're back to the advanced guard and all the things that I trained to until September 11th. This year, Army leaders stressed that the combat training center's rotations are more important than ever to restore the service combat radius. The past five days, commanders, planners, tankers, infantrymen, and other soldiers have had to cope with seasoned enemy force on an ever-changing battlefield that repeatedly alters plans, challenges communication, and makes sleep almost impossible. NTC is designed to be a leadership crucible that forces units to anticipate enemy ground, air, cyber, and electromagnetic attacks. It is very daunting battle rhythm with multiple threats at all times that the brigade has to deal with across the spectrum. So there's not just one threat. They are fighting all forms of contact says Colonel Carl Mishud, Deputy Commander of NTC. My major, who was in charge of my team out there, became the commander of that until he now is a brigadier general. Changing plans on the fly. Elements from 2nd ABCT captured the town of Rizah by noon, but the attack unfolded far differently than the original plan. It was chaotic, a little ugly, but we had more success than we thought we would. Captain Eric Cannon, commander of Charlie Company, 2nd Battalion, 69th Armor Regiment, who did the, they did the Baghdad Blitz, I think uh, 69th did, or was it 64th, I can't remember. Cannon's Mechanized Infantry Company, which is equipped with 15 Bradley, was supposed to follow Charlie Company, 3rd Battalion, 67th Armor Regiment, and Alpha Company, 3rd Battalion, 15th Infantry Regiment, through the breach, 
and moved deeper into town after 367 and 315 gained initial foothold. But the fear was enemy forces were going to reseal the breach lane, created more obstacles, and have more counterattack forces, so we wanted to get as much combat power in there as possible. So when we got into the breach, you had three companies that were all intermixed, and it was chaos. You had vehicles piling up, dropping off guys, pulling back, vehicles getting destroyed. There was no real control over it. Comms were full, too much talking, it couldn't get on the net, and really communication with anyone effectively, and a lot of my commander buddies couldn't either. In the end, leaders scraped the initial plan and kept it simple. So what you saw was a lot of guys going around and grabbing guys and putting them where they needed to be. Units got intermixed, but we just figured it out. <clears throat> if you were wearing the same uniform, we just tried to orient guys on the same plan of attack. NTC and Army Readiness. NTC is one of the Army's three combat training centers. Oh, there's a third? What? They began to transition from mission rehearsal exercises for Iraq and Afghanistan to decisive action rotations in 2011. This year, Army leaders requested funding in its fiscal 2020 budget request to pay for 25 CTC rotations compared to 20 it required in fiscal 2019, a move designed to meet the requirements of the 2018 National Defense Strategy, which identifies Russia and China as the top potential adversaries of the U.S. NTC's sprawling training area in the Mojave Desert plays a key role in the service plan to achieve its readiness. We don't duplicate any part of the world. We use a scenario builder called DATE, Decisive Action Training Environment. We do, not, we do that to incorporate all the threats out there that could possibly face, and then we try to obligate it into one scenario. Set in the fictitious country of Atropia, Army BCTs are forced to defend U.S. allies against aggressor to the north known as Donavia on the battlefield the size of Rhode Island. We're unique in the fact that we are much larger, 1,000 square miles and getting bigger. That is huge. NTC owns the airspace up to 29,000 feet. The massive training center also owns a spectrum, so it can jam the BCT's tactical radio network and disrupt its GC- GPS systems. We can induce those events that may that they may expect to see in a modern battlefield, McCod said. Black Horse units of the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment, the Black Horse, you've seen the patches on TV, Make up the opposing forces are up for at the NTC. The armored force is equipped with nearly 200 hybrid vehicles, including M113s equipped with Bradley turrets to replicate Russian Army BMP-3 fighting vehicles and T-90 tanks. Off four units are also equipped with reconnaissance drones as well as UH-72 Lakota helicopters painted in desert camouflage. During the attack on Razish, 2nd ABCT units were able to surge deeper in their town but suffered heavy casualties. We lost all our Bradleys at some point. Initially, there was a lot of anti-tank gun and missiles in the breach. Then they brought mortars and BMPs and some other armored vehicles. We just didn't do a good job identifying those threats prior going to the breach, he added. Private Isaac Lemus, a 20-year-old infantryman with Alpha Company, said he was killed during the attack on Razish when an enemy fire caused his miles to go off. Our guys started getting killed off as we were flowing through the buildings. We noticed we were taking more contact to the far side, and once I came into this building, I noticed I had been shot. Definitely bigger than any training had seen so far. For Cannon, this is a new experience on many levels. He spent most of his eight years in the Army in light infantry units with the 10th Mountain. He then joined the Spartan Brigade and was converted to an ABCT just over a year ago. This is not only a new formation, a different type of formation, it's a different type of fight. So essentially the challenge is going back into doctrine and relearning everything we were taught long ago, which is pretty sad. 
We have enemy drones flying over the battlefield. We have enemy with helicopters and weapons that can outrange us. It's a dynamic battlefield, so there are a lot of plans that are immediately changed. And he goes through his whole thing. Um, uh, by the end, the best analogy I can give you is sort of shine a bright flashlight deep inside your organization and let you see everything that you're good at and everything you're not good at. So out of this, you become a better soldier, a better leader, and by direct result of that, a better unit. So it's, it is seriously a test. You are worn out. If you don't get food, if your resupply gets blown up, you don't get food. I remember in JRTC, which I did, I did one rotation in NTC, but we were with the, the 25th or the 25th Infantry out of Polk at the time, and we secured flanks. I remember getting hunted by little birds all night and having Apaches come up to it with us, but 7th ID was at the cutting edge of all that desert stuff, so we had netting, and we never got fired up because they couldn't see us. We blended in, um, but just getting hunted and pounded and mortared to death and you know, watching these huge tank forces fight it out on the valley floor. It was just a neat experience. But a JRTC, I think it was eight rotations. I want to say nine. Nine rotations in, in my tour of 20 years in the military. And I remember finding a Western omelet T-Rats. And so for those that aren't familiar, you have the MREs, and you have the T-Rats, which are big cans of food, and they boil them and warm them, and that's what you eat for your hots. But it's basically the same food you get in an MRE. And we found a Western omelet can ran over by a tank that had been cracked open. We hadn't eaten in four days. And I remember taking a spoon out, covering, getting the part that had dirt in it out, and using a knife, a K-bar, and opening it up, and me and my squad ate it. Whenever we killed people, we could take their field except food except for one meal and one canteen. And that's how we ate for days. We would just be killing people so we could fucking eat. Because the food never got to us. So in my last tour before I went um, <clears throat> to, I did one JRTC after Afghanistan, but it was like a three-day rotation. It doesn't really count. You never went hungry. You never really got thirsty. But I did one as a support platoon leader for the 2nd Battalion, 502nd Infantry Regiment. And I made sure we got the food to them. I mean, we fought through some serious shit just to get people water. We infiltrated water in Blivets. I used air assets. Because um, I remember those times of just starving. Now, in combat, that's just the way it was. You know, we we ate parts of MREs because you just didn't get food. They were The helicopter pilots didn't want to get shot down, so they were dumping them in the valley, really for the enemy. Um, so we lived on what we had, and we used creek water that sadly had been chemically attacked in the 70s and 80s by the Russians, but <clears throat> we used uh, iodine tablets, and you know, we shit funny, but we, we were fine. Um, but it was it was a great experience. I wish for me as an OC, it wasn't at the end of my tour in the Army. It would have been great to get all those TTPs and SOPs people used and put them to use. You know, it would have been nice, but it you know, it just didn't work out that way. I I turned down eight. I got out. Um, but as I was reading this, I did a Google. And the third 
CTC is Hornsfeld, Germany, which I knew about, but that doesn't really count. So, you know, in the continental United States, we're talking three or two. It's JRTC of Polk and NTC. And, um, you know, with those, we've become a credible fighting force because, as stated, if you die, you're dead. They have to evac you, go through the whole process. If you don't have food, you don't have food. If you don't have gas, you don't have gas. It's a war. Um, it's the real deal. And, you know, I remember humping people in JRTC on litters to get them evac'd. Taking casualties. I remember one was the worst ever. Long infill, long infill to a, a pickup zone. By the time we were done, the platoon of 28 people was 14. And we were lugging all these people all night to move like four clicks. It was just miserable. Because you got to take their weapons, their rucksacks. But it prepares you like no other training. So let's go to our college crazy. Harvard Undaco graduation for illegal immigrants features previously arrested prof student run group of Harvard University hosted a special graduation ceremony for illegal immigrants Wednesday on an event of Undaco graduation. The special ceremony for this those in the country illegally came amid Trump's crackdown on illegal immigration. According to Harvard Crimson, the student-run group Act on Dream hosted the event for illegals. According to a group website, it has four pillars, which include advocacy for the abolishment of ICE. The event organized highlights the struggles and ways. Da 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 da. Let's see what the other pillars are of this craziness. <clears throat> this campus can be very difficult to navigate, yet there are so many people who came out at the end of the tunnel as better individuals. Shut up. Rashida Talib has 99 problems. Donations from faculty aren't one. The latest edition of ongoing series examining how college faculties and administrators donate. Talib's Michigan District, the college included in the report, included Wayne State University, University of Michigan Dearborn, and the College for Creative Studies. The campus reform analysis was created with public available 2017-18 records from the FEC. Um, Tlaib's district, according to the campus reform analysis, 97.92% of all college administrators in Michigan, 13th district, donated. 22,415.78 to Democrat politicians or Democrat organizations such as Michigan Democrat Senate Demi Stabla. In total, MI13 college employees donated 154,000 to partisan groups or individuals. Of that, 94.52% was given to Democrats. To Tlaib, it was 22,890. But, you know, our college institutions are the highest. There's no bias there. Student Gov, conservative group, has the potential to cause harm. Santa Clara University students' government denied the school's Young American for Freedom chapter registered student organization status in late April, while 14 student senators voted to establish YAF as an RSO and only nine voted against it, according to a document obtained by campus reform. A supermajority of 16 votes was required. The Santa Clara student government claimed that YAF platform on freedom of speech has the potential to cause harm to other students because talking about facts could fuck people up. You fucking 
jackasses. Here's a NYU professor, Lauren Duca. Yo, I'm in the best mood, sending good vibes to everyone, except the Republican Party, which is a terrorist organization. Yeah. She teaches journalism. No bias. Training University serves up spicy response to student gov for Chick-fil-A ban. Training University sent out an email Friday rejecting the student government's request to remove Chick-fil-A from its campus. Tess Cody Anger, the Texas Christian School Vice President for Strategic Communication and Marketing, stated, We do not make a vendor decisions based on their political or religious belief. Utilization, variety option, vendor performance, and campaign-wide feedback based or campus-wide feedback. Based on these criteria, Chick-fil-A appears to be a preferred vendor by students and broader Trinity community. It's just you few fuckheads out there that can't make anything not political. Sorry, I still have a sore throat, so I'm drinking constantly so I can talk. I Whatever I inhaled was not good. University dubs conservative women two-fifths of a person. Oh, these idiots. Feminists have to cry the fact that women earn 70 cents, 77 cents per every dollar a man. Despite that flaw in the studies upon which the statistic is based, the idea of treating a human as less than four-fifths of a person appalls them. Similarly, while ignoring political contents, feminists decry the fact that our founders were all racist because the Constitution counted slaves as three-fifths of a person. Yet, feminist administrators at UNC Wilmington, a.k.a. the dub, recently ruled that conservative women are less than one-half of a person. Unlike the feminist, I can bolster that accusation with facts and appropriate political context. Last August, a conflict emerged between a feminist administrator and two conservative women, one an alumni and another student. The Fed Administrator ran the Women's Studies Resource Center until she recently resigned in the wake of conflict, which has now resulted in a federal civil rights complaint. The initial conflict was over the question of whether WSRC would fund an abortion debate sponsored by a Christian organization. It was doubtful they would, given the long history of only sponsoring unequivocally pro-abortion events. Conservative alumni and conservative student made a direct request for funding of the debate and were told by the feminist administrator that abortion is a woman's issue. The debate could not be funded because the debate participants were both male. When I found out about this, I was incensed. I was one of the proposed debate participants. The other was an abortionist, Dr. Willie Parker. The debate eventually happened, and you can click the link in if you want to. It will come as no surprise to readers that I did not take this line down. I decided to file a formal Title IX complaint. The funding for any speech was denied on basis of gender. I was one of the males subject to discrimination, so I'm standing on the complaint that two conservative women were the ear witness to the discrimination. But the Title IX office did not see it that way. They decided to switch our roles, which made me a witness, and the women the complainants. The reason they did this was obvious. They wanted to claim that FERPA prevented me from accessing all evidence related to the investigation. This was an intentional misapplication of law by the UNCW administrators for the sole purpose of protecting WSRC director, who would be in clear violation of federal law the two conservative women were telling the truth. Title IX investigation, which they sought to conceal by unlawfully swapping witnesses and complainant roles, was indeed a simple one. The university should have concluded it in 60 days allotted by the law, but they missed the 60-day deadline. Then they grant themselves another 60-day deadline. After they missed that deadline, they grant themselves an indefinite extension. Then they restarted the entire investigation. Nationally, this caused them to miss the third deadline. 
In a nutshell, UNCW repeatedly violated procedure in the effort to hide the obvious fact that one of their administrators was violating Title IX by engaging in blatant sex discrimination. They could not bear to admit that the office they established to fight sexism was engaging in sexism. They were hesitant to fire a feminist administrator for advancing rather than fighting gender discrimination. In the midst of the investigation, which stretched on for over 200 days, the director of WSRC announced resignation. UNCW feared their WSRC director was a legal liability, not because she was a sexist, but because she was not shrewd enough to hide it. That just doesn't even surprise me. This did surprise me. SAT to give students adversity score to capture social and economic backgrounds. New score comes as a college admission decision or under scrutiny. The college board plans to assign an adversity score to every student who takes SAT to try to capture their social and economic background, jumping into debate rigging ranging over race and class and college admission. It's a new number called an adversity score by college admission officers is calculated using 15 factors, including the crime rate, poverty levels for the students' high school and neighborhoods. Students won't be told the score, but colleges will be able to see it. And basically it's uh, adversity, uh, neighborhood environment, crime rate, poverty rate, housing value, vacancy rate, family environment, Median income, single parent, education, ESL. High school environment, under matching, curriculum rigor, free lunch rate, AP opportunity. So basically what they're doing is because over time we've seen more women are getting college education, more minorities are able to go through the process, They can't get what they want, so now they're going to rig the SAT. So you can be a total dum-dum, but you're going to get a boosted score because you had a hard life. Am I upset about this because I'm a white supremacist? No, I'm an Asian supremacist. Because the only people who are going to get affected by this are Asians, which the left doesn't seem to give a fuck about, because statistically, they're smarter than people. They score higher on these tests, but they're going to get the boot because a person of color from a liberal city that has liberal laws and it's all fucked up are going to get a better shake than them. And that's bullshit. Total bullshit. But unsurprising. Then a high school eliminates valedictorian honor to reduce competitive culture of all places. I got this from WSMV. They have a new intern who does nothing but liberal bullshit somehow this one slipped out samantha segerman reflects definitely a lot of pressure that i put on myself active in marching band she graduated from mason high school two years ago it was me wanting to do the best i could and as much i as much as i could to try to impress colleges and she graduated with above a 4.0 gpa i know i wasn't in the top 10 percent so when she found out her alma mater was doing away with what matters to so many she was stunned that is so surprising to me because for nothing else than these kids have worked since their freshman year, some of them even in eighth grade. Her brother, a junior at Mason High, Sue Segerman, Samantha's mom, worries for some students in her son's class, all of their hard work will be for nothing. If they've been working really hard and pushing really hard, but that is a goal, and then that kind of gets pulled out from under your feet, 
I kind of feel like that sort of stinks for the, the junior class right now. It, along with a GPA change, are moves the school district hopes will improve students' mental wellness, such as moving to a five-point weighted credit scale from a four-point scale. Some we talk to are worried it could have a negative impact, taking away drive and motivation. Almost unmotivate people, I guess, because there's not, you know, something to work towards to, you know, to try to get, you know, be that person. You think these people get it through their head that participation trophies just don't work. Fifth grade girl protests students giving Nazi salutes that cause a ruckus. Fifth grade girl who was deeply upset called out other students participating in a living history project were giving Nazi salutes were removed from the class with a teacher writing that the young girl was disrespectful with her tone, body language to me while we were trying to discuss her behavior with her. The girl's father, Keith Jacks Gamble, works at Middle Tennessee University, MTSU, issued a Twitter thread telling his daughter's alleged experience. He started by writing, Please comment with support for my 11-year-old daughter. She was removed from class and sent to the principal's office. Stop it! Put your hands down! Da-da-da-da-da! I've raised my kids to hate all white people! Blah, blah! You know, come on, man. If it's real, Yes! Attack them. Verbally. But it was a living history. Jesus Christ. Okay, have you never heard of Najam Sharif? Well, you've been missing out. So have we, apparently because we missed this threat of hers last week. It seems that the writer and founder of the Black Muslim Collective has a problem with white people. Or rather, with white people who love black people. Her tweet that's still on Twitter inverse would be banned how do black people fall in love with a white person like what has to go wrong hmm then we transition to our transgender craziness with the women's sports poll should males who identify as female be allowed to compete in women's sports more than twice as many voters disagree so how do Americans feel about the poll? 1,004 registered voters and found that by a ratio of more than 2 to 1, voters disagree with allowing biological males to compete against biological female. Rasmussen, not a liberal uh, Republican site, found that while less than a quarter, 23% of respondents believe a person born as a male but identifying as a female should be allowed to compete in women's competitive sports, over half, 56%, felt that they would not 21% didn't want to answer. The pollster found that more males are opposed than females, though, and both genders far more disagree with allowing biological males to agree as females. Two-thirds of men, 66%, said they didn't, while 19 said they should. 47% of women disagree. Voters under 35 are more evenly divided. 44 say males who identify as females should not be allowed, while 41% said they should. And, of course, on party lines, it's totally skewed. Helen Joyce. Twitter's apologize and allow Ray Blanchard to share his findings without censorship. It's going to reach far more people than it would have without their attempt to silence anyone. Ray Blanchard is the guy that came up with gender dysphoria, and he was banned off Twitter. Earlier today, I wrote this thread in response to a follower who asked me, what is your actual position on transgender people? It looks like my reply has not been delivered to a single person beside the original inquirer, so I'm posting it here. Twitter locked the account of Ray Blanchard, world expert, researcher in sexual orientation, 
paraphilia and gender identity disorders over his tweet where he wrote that transsexualism and milder forms of gender dysphoria are types of mental disorders. Helen Joyce again. Ray Blanchard served on the Gender Dysphoria Work Group and has chaired the Paraphilia Working Group for DSMV. He is world expert in the field. Twitter suspended his account for putting facts. In other words, Twitter locked him out of his account for being accurate. Jesse Single. Gender dysphoria is a DSM-5 despite endless rumor mongering and misinformation to the contrary. It is considered a mental, mental disorder. Maybe it shouldn't be, but it's beyond insane to suspend someone for expressing an opinion which lines up with DSM. I have less, and two, less faith that as a journalist who often writes about science, I'll be able to continue using Twitter without getting punished for communicating scientifically accurate information. Twitter is making a terrible and embarrassing error here that it should fix. Anyway, this is part of a larger problem of a complete meltdown in elite progressive spaces of the ability to accurately convey science on stories having to do with social justice, journalism, and academia, social media, same story everywhere. It's a slow motion disaster. His thoughts. My belief in glue the following, because they finally let it go live, so I got to actually pull it off Twitter. Six elements. One, transsexualism and minor forms of gender dysphoria are types of mental disorders which may leave the individual with average or even above average functioning in unrelated areas of life. Sex change surgery is still the best treatment for carefully screened adult patients whose gender dysphoria has proven resistance to other forms of treatment. Sex change surgery should not be considered for any patient until the patient has reached 21 years and has lived at least two years in the desired gender role. Gender dysphoria is not a sexual orientation, but is a virtually always preceded or accompanied by an atypical sexual orientation. And males, either homosexuality, sexual arousals by members of their own biological, or autogenophilia, sexual arousal at the thought or image of oneself as a female. There are two main types of gender dysphoria in males, one associated with homosexuality and one associated with autogenophilia. Traditionally, the great bulk of female-to-male transsexualism has been homosexual and erotic object choice. The sex of a post-operative transsexual should be analogous to a legal fiction. This legal fiction would apply to some things, sex designation on a driver's license, but not to others entering a sports competition as one adopted sex. He's the expert. The expert. And he is saying everything us transphobes are saying that you shouldn't do this to children, that you should not do it till you're of legal age, and you at least tried the skin you want, and that, sure, you could put it on a driver's license, I guess, but sports should be off limits. The party of science ignores science once again. Then you get this shit, and now the experts have decided that hospitals to be more woke before the same thing happens to other transgender people. Obese man came to a hospital with abdominal pain. His records list him as a male. Turns out he was pregnant transsexual. Some activists and health professionals are blaming hospital for not immediately testing for pregnancy. They want more bias training. Nick Ryder, 
A transgender health specialist and psychologist at the University of Minnesota said training isn't enough. There are implicit biases that need to be addressed. As writer said health records may use male-female templates for gender, but it doesn't mean that we just throw out critical thinking or about how humans are diverse, writer said. The case is horrifying, but not terribly surprising, said Gillian Brandsetter, a spokesman for an advocacy group, the National Center for Transgender Equality in Washington. Transgender people often run into problems getting gender-specific health care, such as cervical cancer screenings, birth controls, and prostate cancer screening. More needs to be done to improve medical awareness, the recognition of diversity, because the consequences can be so dire. No amount of medical awareness or recognition of diversity can change the fact that this is an unfortunate consequence of viewing gender dysphoria as something to be celebrated. We live in ridiculous time. This is insanity. The problem isn't bias, Cecil Nelson. This is the sort of weird shit that happens when we nurture people's mental illnesses instead of treating them. Those are all the replies to these idiots. What the, the Reuters ran it as this horrible experience. Doctors treat men and women differently because men and women cancer screenings are different men and women's symptoms are different but if you're telling the world you're male but you're a pregnant female if they were to say drop your trousers so i could see what the fuck you are you'd be pissed then but that's what you're asking professionals to do you're gonna have to check under the hood to find out what's going on this was all over Reuters, washington post Medical professionals suck because this guy believes he's a male, but he's a pregnant female. They shouldn't be able to change their sex until they've completed reassignment surgery. For their own health, it shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't happen. You can't blame the people. You've made these goddamn rules that if I dead name you or use the wrong pronoun, I'm supposed to be doxxed and fired from my job. I mean, I tested the other day. WSMV start talking about local NBC News in Nashville. And they were talking about Bradley Chelsea Manning. And he's going back to jail. How do you, what do you think? And I tweeted, well, Bradley was a criminal. Why would we think Chelsea's any different? That reply is gone. Well, it's suspended, but it's not there. It's just gone. Doesn't exist. Because I dead named. I said Bradley. But in the statement, when he was a male, he was a criminal. Why was a female? Would it be different? You can't even say that. So you make all these rules, and now you're pissed off when a medical professional treats you as a male, thinking it's your blood pressure. That was actually what it was. It was an obese person who stopped taking their blood pressure medicine. Why would... What the fuck? Then we got this bullshit. BBC News. Arthur Teacher comes out in children cartoon series as male. Time Magazine. The internet is overjoyed that Arthur character, Mr. Ratburn, had a same-sex wedding. Pride did it. People said, so now time speaks for the whole internet? Translation. A very tiny segment of mainly white, middle-class millennials with nothing better in their lives are happy with this. Mike Viola. I'm so glad that we come to a point in our society where instead of the fact that this is a relationship between two males, we can instead worry about the fact that it's a relationship between two different species. Real and Kim Yona. They're doing this just to be inclusive, just like J.K. Rowling has had been planned to be gay, he would have came out in season 10. 
Then you have this shit. This is the left's Latisha 11-year-old drag kid. I'll explain it in a second. What has this world come to? It's come to a world where drag kids actually exist. And people do ketamine on a couch. How old is your BS? Hello? Hitler was right. Helicopter ride. He's pretending to snort ketamine. Yeah. Ketamine. But that's okay. Rocket Man makes history his first gay sex. They simulate anal oral sex. I was going to go to the movie. Not going to now. Blurred, uh, let me see. My gender is not a costume. For trans people, gender swap photo filters are no mere game. This was all over the place. And what this counts to is a filter on a app. It makes you a female. And they ran with this one person who's wearing a costume, a, not, a gendered male, biologically, who dresses like a female, <coughs> at least shaves his beard, I'll give him that much, and looks feminine. She's offended. You just can't be offended about everything. There's no winning with you 0.6, of the population. There's no winning with you. You change the rules all the time because you just hate everybody. Because you hate yourself because you have a fucking mental illness. The world can't fix your mental illness. You need to fix it. To other stuff, employees of Socialist Brooklyn Food Co-op discover downside of socialism. They all demanded a union. (laughs) In our usual segment... She didn't get an A, so she accused Professor of sexual harassment. Then she had an X, held an X at night point to destroy evidence. She's going to fucking jail every week I cover one of these. Then we got the gay U.S. woman's soccer co-captain. I'll probably never sing the national anthem again. Says she's waking a walking protest when it comes to Trump. The co-captain United States woman national team, Megan Rapino. I'll probably never put my hand over my heart. I'll probably never sing the National Anthem again, boasting that she is walking protest to Trump because of everything I stand for. I feel like it's kind of defiance in and of itself to just be who I am and wear the jersey and represent it because I'm as talented as I am. I get to be here. You don't get to call me if I can be here or not. So it's kind of a good fuck you to any sort of inequality or bad sentiment that Trump might have towards people who don't look exactly like him. Which, God help us, we all look like him. Scary, really scary, disturbing. Things were different in 2011 when Raponi sang Born in the USA under Obama. Yeah. Yeah, you're a piece of fucking shit. You're just a piece of fucking shit. If your patriotism ebbs and flows with who's ever in the White House, you're not a patriot. You're not. You're a piece of shit. That's who you are. New HIV map offers most detailed look yet at the epidemic in Africa, and it's downright scary. The bottom of Africa is infiltrated with HIV. It is actually really scary. It's incredibly scary, and there needs to be something done about it. 
Chicago area police warn of zombie raccoons with distemper. I just wanted to read that headline because that's just fucking amazing. <laughs> zombie raccoons, that's scary. French doctor killed two patients by poisoning them with anesthesia so he could revive them to impress his colleagues. He's done it to over 50 patients. Oh my God, that's scary. Body modifier with 150 tattoos shows off spider implants under his arms. I, this guy, wow, he just, it just all went wrong. Just all went wrong. And lastly, before we go to our lighter fare, dog joke lands Chinese man in 10-day detention. Police investigate complaints of outrageous messages and insults to law enforcement. Pet sellers locked up for picking quarrels and making trouble. A man has been detained by police in eastern China for giving his dog name with appeared to mock government officials. That's fascism, folks. Trump's not doing it, but you would do it if I named my dog something inappropriate. You just, you would, and you know you would, so... We're going to start a lighter fare with, uh, <clears throat> there's a Daenerys clip I'm going to play. I just got to find it. I don't know where I put the damn thing. And then a funnier die with the season uh, eight, episode four, Tyrion. Uh, it's called I Farted Your Way, because we have a lot of funny stuff about Game of Thrones. The fans are losing it. No, you don't care about your people. Why should you? Mind your own business! They hate you, and you hate them. Oh yes, it's very nice, sir. You're not a monster. Of course not! I'm French! Why do you think I have this outrageous accent, you silly king? I beg you. If not for yourself, then for your child. I told them we already got one. Help me. I don't want to see the city burn. You don't frighten us, English pig dogs. Go and boil your bottom, sons of a silly person. I'll blow my nose at you, you and all your silly English niggas. You're a rational man. I don't want to talk to you no more, you empty-headed animal food trough water. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberries. That doesn't mean your life has to end. No, now go away, or I shall taunt you a second time. Doesn't mean your baby has to die. I can't find it. I'm really sorry. The Daenerys one was really funny because it goes through all the 
different phases of I will burn you, I will kill you, blah, and then they're being nice, and it was really hilarious. I just can't find it. Before we get to the Game of Thrones, I forgot this one, the New York Times. These tacos are packed with nutritious, dense broccoli and comforting potatoes for a satisfying meal that comes together in just 45 minutes. Broccoli on a tortilla isn't taco. It's a mistake. Someone needs to raise the Abula army and destroy you with fire from a million chanclas. Somebody said, but it's in their thing. You know, their zest for no meat. Save the planet. I guess they do a series where they have all these stupid things they make up that are all vegetarian. And, uh, yeah, that's not a taco. It's not. So, to our Game of Thrones stuff... I just thought this was really funny. It seems that Daenerys Targaryen transformation in the Mad Queen and her burning of King's Landing on Sunday, Game of Thrones, is not sitting well. Some female blue checks, here are some of the Dragonfire hot takes we've seen. So the woman in pure is a pure savior until she's a stone's throw away from power. Then she goes mad with ambition. The only way the writers could have made this more sexist is if Danny was on her period. These, these are real people. Kate Arthur. In the books, as many have said, Danny is much more liable to make bad choices. She's a stand-in for George W. Bush, destroying the Middle East. That's not the Danny the show created. They haven't gone over Bush. Christina Reynolds. I'm still trying to process that we have moved from the woman being badasses to the woman either going mad or becoming weepy messes. Because that is not okay in the year of our Lord 2019. Alex Bruce Smith, a fucking beta. Remember why Danny locked her dragons up for an entire season? Because she didn't want another small child to die. What was that? Christy Lee Yandoli. Daenerys Stromborn of the House Targaryen. Breaker of Chains and the Mother of Dragons deserve better. Her character deserves so much better. Key word was character. This isn't real, folks. There's no sexism involved. It doesn't. Jesus. Uh, Molly Knight. Now Danny's going to be killed by a mediocre dude. It's like the Democratic primary with dragons. <laughs> Everything's political. Jessica Valentine argued that the only way the writers could have made the episode more sexist was to have Daenerys on her period. She was the one that started it and then somebody else tweeted it. became a thing. The New Republic, the moral, apparently a Game of Thrones, is that women are guilty of all the worst things. Violence, impetuosity, vanity, and overreaction. And this is one of their reviewers, I swear to God. I, I pulled it from the article. Je Josephine Livingstone. Sexual rejection is the culprit once again. Danny burns a city because John rejects her? No. We see the iron enter her soul as the saying goes. This seems to also have been the spark for all the major past wars, including Robert's Rebellion. The show seems to teach the lesson that the sexual whims and grievance of very powerful people result in a lot of bloodshed and suffering for a vast quantity of ordinary people whose lives are generally very shitty anyway. All for what? Secondary satisfaction? Like the <clears throat> piece on Euron's face when he said, I'm the man who killed Jamie Lannister. 
So the show's lesson seems to be about human nature, ego, and sex specifically, and a total disregard for the lives of other people that don't drive engendered, which makes desire the number one driver of all the evil. That's a pretty good moral, or rather a neat one, bottom of form. The other moral is that women are guilty of all things, the worst things, which are impetuosity and violence and death. It's a show, but people don't see it as a show. My original article was this one. Game of Thrones fans are petitioning for a season eight remake with new writers. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's just insane. I mean, it's just a show. It's just a show. It's not real. I I would love a ninth season. I'm one to say it never should go off because you could keep writing on it. But I think I read an article of the day by Kit Carrington. Harrington, the, the the crew itself is like this is such a heavy show. It's time to go. I don't want to do comedies. I just want to do something other than this because it's so serious all the time. And you know, I mean, people get a fucking grip. It's a TV show. Two are This Is America. The first one, a white guy, black woman, chucks him off the bus. He's dead. But then it gets trumped by a guest on fucking Bill Maher. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. What I'm whipping up. This is America. Don't catch you slipping up. Don't catch you slipping up. It's time for the last sound bite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Las Vegas police have released security video of a woman shoving an elderly man off a city bus. The man later died of his injuries. Now police are asking anyone who witnessed the incident to come forward. CBS News' Nichelle Medina has more, but first a warning, some viewers may find the video disturbing. Shocking security video captures the moment 74-year-old Serge Fournier was pushed off a Las Vegas public transit bus in March. The elderly man died in April, more than a month after the incident. He fought as long as he could until it was his time to go. Investigators say Fournier was moving up the aisle of the bus when he asked 25-year-old Kadisha Bishop to be nice because she was yelling and cursing at passengers. That's when witnesses say Bishop shoved Fournier out of the bus with enough force that he never touched any of the steps before hitting his head on the sidewalk. They pushed him face first out of the bus, from what I understand, and that's that's vindictive. Fournier died on April 23rd. The coroner ruled his death a homicide due to blunt force injuries. Police arrested and charged Bishop with murder. She's being held on $100,000 bail and is due back in court next week. Nishal Medina, CBS News, Los Angeles. It would be just the beginning of what he deserves. Um, so, you know, not even scratching the surface of what he deserves. You know. But it's a practical matter. 
It's I mean, a practical man. Whenever, you know, I think about this and what he really deserves, I think we should turn him over to the Saudis, you know, his buddies. The same Saudis, you know, who got rid of that reporter. You know, maybe they could do the same for him. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think at this point I do feel that we should... When I say we, of course, it's not us, yeah. it's them. You know, we're always saying we, but it's never we. You know, it's them. Yeah. You know? So, yes, right. I think they doing. should impeach him. We're not in charge, you know. Um, who, I, I do. I think they should start impeachment. Who do you? To the first one, of course, if it was inverse, this would be front page news, but it's just ignored. And could you ever say that? Could you ever say that about Obama? That lady was allowed. There's no sponsorship pulling. There's... There's nothing. It's, it's okay. Just everything's okay. Just fucking horrible. Other things that are horrible. Then we'll close this bad boy up because we're over three hours. Man who viciously threw five-year-old boy from the third floor of Mall of America. Nineteen years in prison. That's it. That's what he got. Which, you know, once again, media dropped it like a bad, bad fucking taco because they didn't want nothing to do with that shit. Inverse, we'd still be talking about how white supremacists are chucking little African-American boys off the balconies. Everywhere. Just, you know, everywhere. That's that's what's happening. Nobody's saying it on the other side, but that's what they'd be saying. And then last but not least, this is from the Federalist. Not going to read it. I'm just going to break it down for you. Still store from the 2016 Democrats ignoring Constitution to pursue a national popular vote. The flawed idea gained even more popularity on the left in 2016 following the election of Donald Trump. So, when I was listening to the uh, pod bros, they kept talking about the interstate compact. To right now, when they did this, there was 189 electoral college votes from the liberal states who voted in that they will not release, they'll tell their electors to take their electoral college votes to the electoral college and vote for the popular vote winner, knowing it will be a Democrat because they let illegals vote everybody. I mean, that's what they're pushing for. They want 16-year-old illegals, doesn't matter, everybody votes. Because they think that will always win them the election. And within this, they're trying to push for 270, which they're not going to get, but enough liberal states that it's a gigantic block, and it doesn't matter. Colorado is one of the most recent ones. If Colorado voted for a Republican, which highly unlikely with Trump, but in the future, if that person did not win the electoral college, which they or the popular vote, which they won't with California always being Democratic, they will go there and vote for the Democrat, even though their state voted for a Republican or an Independent or Green or whatever it was. They won't give their votes for that person. They're going to give their votes for the Democrat. These are the same people that are saying we're trashing the Constitution. These are the same people saying that we just are all fucked up because somehow Trump has overrode the will of law and fucking packed the court with anarchist, white supremacist Nazis. I want to clue you into the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. 
No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops, or ship of war in time of peace, enter in any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. That is the compact clause. So what they're doing is in direct violation of the Constitution that they talk about at nauseum. Most people don't know it. Podcast Bro didn't talk about it. They giggle that every state that's part of it is where they live. They tried to argue, well, then these people would go and vote. More people would vote because they don't vote because they're in a blue state or a red state. So their votes just don't get counted. The Constitution and the framers formed this fucking shit so that California wouldn't elect the President of the United States. Cut and dry. That places like Idaho and Utah, which they yucked it up about, nobody politics, nobody goes to Boise. It is your disdain for your fellow Americans. Not everybody wants to live like a rat in a cage. Not everybody wants to Uber. Not everybody wants to ride a bike. People like living in rural areas. But as we talk about the cultural war of abortion all of a sudden, and this is Trump dealing in the culture war and pushing his people and his base and all that stuff, all the states in between the coast are against abortion. All the states in between the coast need cars to work. All the states in between the coast live pretty natural. Going back to Zach in Tennessee, my son, People in those cities with smog and problems are telling us how to deal with the fucking climate. But you go where I live and it's nothing but pollen right now. There's no smog. We live clean. We take care of the land. We're the people that actually go out into nature while you people sit and talk about how every species on the planet's dying and trees and flowers and ah! When you haven't seen a tree or flower lately. Your hate of your fellow Americans is pretty disgusting. And your hypocrisy on this issue, which will never be pointed out by Chuck Toad or Joe Scarborough or anybody else out there that pretends to be a journalist, it's a violation of the Constitution. And you would never propose it, ever, if the stakes were different. If, like, the center of gravity was Texas, where the most electoral college and most populous, and they all voted Republican, you would never do it. But you know you have your city centers, and you have most of the city centers are Democrats. So you believe this will always get you the presidency. It's not how it works. And... You know, they even talked about the fucking convention of states. And they pushed all this stuff like we could get this done. It'll never get done. You will never get two-thirds of the states to agree to this. It just won't happen. Because that's not what the framers wanted. And regardless of you like it or not, us pieces of shit and flyover are Americans too. And we have the right of representation, which you would take away if you could. 
That's why you want illegals counted. Because if you get the illegals, you can boost your count and try to get more representation. Yeah. You're a fucking piece of this shit. So, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with family and friends. And send comments or suggestions to email F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast at gmail.com. You get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reid. So, we're shooting for a Tuesday podcast. In the afternoon, I'm going to try to squeeze it in and I'm going to try the shorter version because I need to get ready to get shorter versions, not three hours and some odd minutes. So that'll be the 21st of May, year of our Lord, 2019. I have so many appointments with the wife because she's getting ready for a knee surgery. So I'm going to try to pop in a 24th podcast or a 26th. I'm going to shoot for the 26th. Um... And then I hit the road the 29th. So I'm going to try to get like three more podcasts done. And then we'll start going into much less. Um, I Once again, please hand this to your friends, family, anybody. Uh, it was nice seeing all those numbers because it's probably double if I could actually get all the stats on everything that's going on. SoundCloud's not really made for podcasts. Um, I've talk, thought about re-hosting, but the idea of taking 350 fucking podcasts and re posting it somewhere else because they don't do it for you and that's a lot of work probably not gonna do it so anyway enjoy your weekend make sure you disconnect from all your devices don't give the yeah yeahs and tune back in on tuesday afternoon for another exciting episode of flower politic podcast as always thanks for listening and take care thank you for listening to flyover politic podcast please check out our facebook page at fop podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.